Good evening, morning, afternoon, whatever applies to you, and welcome to another wonderful EuroLeague after what I think was a pretty banger week one of the uh, winter split LEC. Uh, I am joined, as always, by, of course, Mr. Kira, and you, Kandar, from D Grey Man. That's Again, you're actually reaching the territory of stuff that I haven't watched now. So I know that's a classic, and I know it's a bad thing to not watch that. But okay, that's a good one. Yes, me I'll, too. I'll I down. also know it is a classic and not some random thing that I googled <laughs> and scrolled down to page three because I've already used all of page one and two. Yeah. Anyway, uh, guys, you do know the drill, which is we're not allowed to speak League of Legends. We're only allowed to speak anime and hypothetical would you rathers uh, before we say anything else. So I've got a very basic one for you this week because obviously for people who don't know... Is it going to involve Epstein's list again? It's not. And there's there's no grand, you know, philosophical undertones to this question or anything. You know, very simple, very basic, very on topic with, you know, actual things that have been happening in the esports space. Uh, and uh, yeah, so basically... Like the LCS, which has now decided to play their league on the live patches, my question to you guys is, would you like to see this happen in LEC? Or would you rather, as an example, that each split, so let's say winter, spring, summer, has one competitive patch, which is what, you know, the teams play on TR or whatever. They already kind of do it, but obviously there are patch changes in between the splits for people who don't know. So would you like to see one competitive patch per split, basically, or would you rather the league played on live with all the little kinks and without the hot fixes or whatever, or as they come out? Which would you rather see? Nymera, what do you think? And this is assuming that obviously there'll be a large patch change then for MSI and Worlds? Yeah. And... If there's like a world qualifier or say LEC season finals, you do summer, and then there'd be a different patch for LEC season finals. I, I if, think I'd have well. to go live patch. I'd have to go live patch just because it was already really bad when I can't remember which split it was last year. It might have been summer where it felt like having the same patch for what is it, the entirety of groups or whatever. It felt like we were constantly behind. That felt really bad. And don't get me wrong, there is a really big bonus to. Um, you know, sitting on a patch for a couple of weeks, um, you know, for, for half of a split or whatever, there there is some there is some benefit to that. But if you fall like three patches behind, and and I assume that there won't be a patch change for playoffs as well, it'd be the entirety yep, of the yep, split. Yep. That's too much. If it was regular season one patch and playoffs on another one, I'm like, it gets closer. Even then, I get a bit iffy about it. I think playoffs has to be played on the entirety of one patch. Don't get me wrong. I think that that one has to happen. In fact, uh, there's an anecdote. Yeah, there's an anecdote I bring up about this because there was back when COVID happened, like first first kind of wave happened in 2020. Obviously, a lot of shit started happening with a lot of delays. Now, I was covering LJL at that point, and there was the Juggernaut match earlier in playoffs. I think it was like round two or round three, which is sort of seed one versus seed two on one patch. But then because COVID hit, like the second wave hit, you know, just between that and finals. When finals happened, there was a three-patch shift between the Juggernaut match, which is the last match that one of these teams will play, and then finals. And it completely fucks the matter for finals, and we had probably a different champion than we would have had. That, to me, is just, like, mad in some ways. So there are negatives to, like, having a huge patch shift, which is why I can't really have it sat on one patch. Then you go to, like, a super important MSI or Worlds or whatever and have it change. I, I just can't have that. So, but do you not think that if you essentially qualify for something that you should then play on the same patch, i.e. regular season is qualifying for the postseason, 
Do you not think it's a bit weird that you then play a different game to what you qualified with? Oh, there are issues to that. Yeah, which is why I think that if you're going to... I, I don't think you can have, like, a patch change, you know, like, the last week of playoffs. And I guess in regular season, you only have the three weeks. So then it's like if you have two patches and there's, like, one on... Which is actually what we're having right now, right? Because we've got the hotfix patch coming out for, for next week of LEC, I believe. It might be hotfix on, on, on next patch. I can't... Uh, next week, I, I can't remember that. But I still think that if you get to the point where you're three, four patches behind, it's just awful when you actually go international. It's so bad. Because then actually, while you've qualified for the playoffs, what you're then doing when you're qualifying for MSI is that you are then five patches behind and therefore you're not actually the best team for that meta. So that's that's the issue I'd, I'd have. What do you think, Kira? Live patch or one patch per split? See, the problem is, is you're trying to like get two different problems like to sync up, which you like can't do. You've got the fact that League of Legends has long leagues, and you've got the fact that like League of Legends is a constantly evolving game with mm. like patches, okay? And so it's like, do you slow down and do you do larger like patches that you attempt to link up with all the leagues? Because like EU and NA can kind and Korea can kind of stay in sync, but the LPL can't, right? Because for example, the LPL is not two round robins; it's one. So you can do like one round robin then patch, then do another rim robin, and that's fair, you know what I mean? And that, like, that gives you some level of equality, and you could try and link that up with EU and NA. The problem is, is, like, LPL, you're still going to have the extremes, where you're, like, an up-and-coming team, you play all the good teams on, like, a really, like, bad patch for you, and then you play the shitter teams on, like, a good patch for you, and it's like, where could you have actually been? Then you've obviously got the thing you just talked about there, where it's like, when you go to the playoffs, shouldn't that be the same patch? So... Again, it compounds because you, League has problems. For example, like Dota makes this mistake like only like two to three percent, where they literally patch mid tournament and every single time it's hilarious. But like most Dota tournaments are played on a patch, and then another patch comes along and a new tournament is played on a new patch, and three or four different tournaments can and you can choose which ones you want to go to. Like in the 2017-2018 era, are all played on the different patches, and then there's big massive patches for the big majors. The league's not like that because league likes its leagues, and so you've got these long, continuous um, tournaments. I think the best one to try and the best thing to do is try and keep the teams playing on a consistent patch, even if that isn't live. I think it's really daring for any to like just always be playing on live. I don't think it's going to make any the most like competitive thing but any needs to try and do something because it isn't the most competitive region anyway like so yeah i, I wouldn't know put what... this in lec lpl lck but lcs i don't mind it actually yeah because at the end of the day like you know what i mean i'm not, I'm not here to like just dog on it on na like i'm gonna mm. probably watch the majority of it but um there's like way other there's Massively yeah, I mean, regardless different things. of like yeah. looking at the competitive side of it, you're completely right. In regards to like the the hype around it and the broadcast around it, like I I am more invested in watching LCS because it's on live patch. So that's a benefit for them. For LEC, because I believe like there is potentially a level of competitiveness which I think can be reached by staying on the same patch and getting a level of mastery on it. I don't think I put live patch there compared to the regular one. But even then, I still prefer live patch over like four patches behind because then when you get yeah. to Worlds or MSI, it's just too much. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's a, a difficult one. I also agree with the whole live patch thing on uh, LCS does actually make it more interesting to me. Again, it is kind of sad, I guess, that it's sort of like the become the novelty, uh, whimsical region, if you like. But 
I mean, actually, when has it not been for like, the last however long? So who knows? They're just embracing their, their inner self, which any good self-help book will tell you to do regardless. So good job, Anne. Good job, Mark Z. Uh, anyway, let's move on to uh, our first topic. And Nymera, I want you to explain to me how you built this heretics lineup. Because, oh, wait, shit. Oh, no, sorry. That was a question for the uh, last guest who cancelled 10 minutes before we were meant to go live here. So sucks. Let's... Uh, Cross that one out. There we go. Get rid of that. Oh, we'll get rid of this as well. Oh, yeah. Get rid of that whole paragraph. Yep. Gone. Gone. Just bear with me one sec, guys. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, oh. yeah I totally wasn't yeah. streaming 15 minutes before we went live to record this. I definitely wasn't doing that and get like a random DM. By the way, can you sub in? <laughs> Uh, uh, it's that, sorry, just deleting the whole show. There we go. Right. Okay, cool. Right. Last topic. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, I do think that the biggest sort of talking point from this week, as I said, really interesting, really fun. One of the big things I think fans and pundits alike noticed was obviously this new heated rivalry between sort of Spain and France. More specifically, I suppose, you know, K-Corp and Mad slash Koi. But I do feel that this is going to kind of manifest in a bigger way as we go through LEC this season. Because as I tweeted earlier today at time of recording, um, it's kind of nuts how eight out of the 10 teams are or have been owned by either French or Spanish. And yes, BDS is Swiss, whatever, fuck off, they're French. Uh, French speaking, they count. Um, Organisations, and it's only Fnatic and SK that aren't or haven't been. So that is pretty mental. And again, I was going to ask, you know, a Spanish person, why that might be the case. Why is, you know, League of Legends so big and popular amongst fans in Spain and not, for example, in the UK where we're all from? But we'll never know the answer to that question, I guess. So we'll put it, you know, we'll pigeonhole that uh, for now at least. So whatever. Um, but yeah, on this topic, um, you were there in person, Nymera. I was. So I, wanted I was to... there for the last day of week one. So only one day, but I was there, I was there for the rivalry game. Because this is something that I've talked about a lot sort of holistically before like K-Corp came into the league that I personally don't like live in-person events being there myself um, generally. One, because I just think like I'm watching a screen basically, which I could do in the comfort of my own home. But also because I felt like the fan base in general, especially in League of Legends, is not very partisan at all. It's just, you know, the, the meme I put was like you, every fucking guy and girl just has like i love fanatic g2 and sk like in their fucking twitter bio you know they, these people don't care they're not actually that invested and that's not really a criticism that's just kind of the nature and the casualism if you like of esports um but i do feel like with these teams that do have a heavy identity based in their nationality and the support that comes with that for me personally and i do think from for a lot of other people the level of like hype and the stakes that it feels like are on these games is like taken to another level. But yeah, as someone who was there and witnessed indeed the Mad Slash Koi versus uh, K-Corp game, can you talk a little bit about that, Nymera? What, what was that like? Yeah, well, there's a lot surrounding this, right? Because, I mean, obviously people watching the screen, on the stream, you definitely hear the fans <coughs> and there was... There's a whole thing there about people will complain that they don't hear anyone and then people will complain that they hear too many people. I don't think that's a problem of the fans themselves. I think that's a problem of the production getting used to the new studio and the new setup. It's the first weekend. Oh my God, you're going to have tech issues. That's going to happen. Um, on a personal level, um, I much prefer there being an active crowd to there being none at all, as long as it's clean. Um, 
So where do we start with this? Now, obviously, for that game, I thought it was... So I was sat just by the Koi fans on, on the one, the right-hand side of the studio. Kami Core fans were sat on the other side. You have ringed seats, so if you're sat on the right side, you can see pretty clearly who sat on the left side and on the other side, too. So it's like a 45-degree angle on the kind of like the side um, kind of walls of seats. So what that meant was when one side started chanting, the other side would lock eyes and they'd do a counter chant of some kind. There were some funny examples of this. So in the... Koi coming core game of course there was a bit of bot lane action where Bo kind of ran down super a couple of times um and the Koi fans were saying you know super super trying to cheer him on you know even though he just died and then the coming core fans say well we can one up this and say chupa chupa which is suck it in spanish so there's some like real shit posty kind of moments like that which i i don't mind because um you know it kind of shows that kind of the rivalry exists that it means something that the stakes are high and when the game ended um with the pentakill it you know the, the the roof basically blew off and because the the fans basically sit in front of their co-streamer so you have um so you have kometo on one side who was that's why the common core fans were on the left side of the studio and then ebay was on the other side the fans just rush up to the booth but then a load of the people in ebay's booth jumped over the fence over the, like the um like the divider into the crowd it's like i guess the lec equivalent of crowd serving it surfing at this point and that was just really funny to see i will say security had an absolute fit in the first few days because of kesha partly from the g2 <laughs> fans because he was there with a giant drum and i think that was in this day two he was there by the way very um, quick aside for people who don't know who kesha is it is not the scantily dressed american singer it is the new new one trick streamer. oh he was scantily dressed on twitch well. <laughs> recently though accidentally <laughs> but yeah, yeah sorry sorry go on but so he's a big new 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 streamer he is just chaotic energy incarnate um, and what he ended up doing during the G2 game was he was running in and out of the other co-streamers. Well, he's not a co-streamer, but he was running into each of the co-streamers' booths down the bloody corridor with the drum. And, like, so he kind of, you know, jumps into Cadrill's stream or whatever. But then, like, he goes into Kometo's stream while G2 are playing Kamigore and he's, you know, banging his drum. And I don't think that was as well appreciated. Um, and basically on the first couple of days, we, there was, I think security got a real reality check from what these fans are going to behave like in terms of that chaotic nature. Most of it was clean. I enjoyed the energy of it. Did hear there were two fist fights on the last day though. Um, I didn't see them in the actual seating. It might've been outside. It might've been in one of like the- We're other mainstream lads. There so, it yeah, is. There, there were apparently two fist fights, um, which doesn't surprise me because it got a bit heated and then obviously you know at the end of the game when elio was getting interviewed um the carmichael fans were booing elioia which at the end of the day elioia didn't mind and he was just like whatever screw it it's fine like so i don't really care plus it means you're going to remember that interview more yeah, than just any yeah. box standard interview most of it i'm okay with if it actually gets to like actual fist fights and stuff though like no let's keep it clean um but besides that i mean being in the studio I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the energy. Uh, same with the G2. I was sat with the G2 fans. I was wearing a Rogue jersey while they played Rogue, but I sat with the G2 fans. That was some pretty good shitposting as well. Um, See, this is a tragedy, and, and... though, of why, you know, esports not being popular in the UK, because we'd have brought fistfights to esports a decade oh, ago. Oh, years mate. earlier. We'd, yeah. have, we'd have been right uh, <laughs> ahead of that shit. Yeah. By the way, with like, the whole booing thing, I'm actually, like, completely fine with it. Again, obviously, it's hard to read completely yeah. into these things, but I felt like... So far as these things can be good-natured, it felt kind of good-natured-ish. And also, it's fine. I just think, you know, because some people say, oh, it's hypocrite, you were having a go at people who booed Faker. Guys, Faker 
flew halfway around the world yep. for literal... And then we'll have like an eight-hour day. Literal <laughs> fan service, by the way. Literal fan service. He wasn't there playing for millions of dollars or world titles or whatever. There, he was there to placate to you, the fans, and then you boo him. That is fucking... Yeah. That is ridiculous. I will but, say, uh, as long as the show can actually go forward, because if it gets to the point where they're booing so loud that you can't even do the interview, I'm like, that's... Oh, yeah, sure. That's yeah. probably not Also great. depends on the interview. Like, imagine yeah. people were booing during, like, for the Forgiven um, buzz. Oh, yeah. Bu Remember, like, that, right? Now, that interview was bad enough as it was, <laughs> but imagine people started booing, like, Ooh. during that interview. Well, yeah. Like, that... That'd be it would be hilarious, but simultaneously so far. Oh, and there's one other thing I remember about the crowd stuff that weekend as well, which was that um, I think it was on day two. Security went over to talk to the Carmine Core fans because they were getting annoyed that the the Mad Lions Koi fans were cheering with the G2 fans against Carmine Core. That's basically what's happening now, though, is that Carmen Core have set the fans have set them set a bit of a target on themselves yeah. because, as they would, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it basically means that every other team is cheering against Carmen Core, which is also it means at least, at least people are engaged in the studio and elsewhere, um, so that's kind of fun. But like, you can't get annoyed when you've talked the nah, talk. But if this you talk is, the talk, you got to back it up. This is so. what we uh, to me though, like obviously I'm not just pretending I you know represent everyone's opinions, or whatever. But this is what. I won. I felt like the fandom in League in general and EU was so fickle and like not hype at all. And as I've said, yeah. like the oh, whole they were just like really down on everyone. Yeah, really it's just sarcastic like and just yeah. such contrived storylines as well. It's all just about like basically how good a team is, and the storyline is what happened last time the team played each other, but no actual like fan engagement at all. Like oh, oh, Kings, New oh, yeah. Kings. I mean, like if but, I go, the players never helped. The players never helped in that either, right? If yeah. you go look, right, well, one, one of the most did. by the one <laughs> of the most yeah. bipartisan moments in esports was 2012 to 2015, right? A uh, CLG versus TSM. Now that entire time period, right? TSM were better almost all the way through it until the very very end. TSM dominated the rivalry, right? But CLG fans were still coming in in waves, like believing and buying in every year because the players like Doublelift would talk like mad shit, and there was always like stream buys and people would like talk about it, and you were like feeding into it because the two organisations opposably did not like each other, and the, some of the people playing for those organisations historically did not play for it. And now, you know what I mean? It's not like Caps, right? As for like G2 talking shit, right, about Fnatic. Yeah. But if he was doing that, there would be so much more bipartisan yeah. between like Fnatic and G2. And it, it, the difference is, is there's like WWE talking about like talking shit, and then there's actually like meaning it, like yeah. actual like bipartisanism, like disliking <laughs> them because have they're there. Um, have you seen that one K and Peel sketch where it's like the two fighters before a title card fight, and the yeah, guy's like, yeah, "I'm gonna yeah. beat this old man's ass," and he's like, "The other guy's like, the lessons of God are so yeah. great. I'm going yeah. to make him see God." It's it, like, did you match you up against an actual crazy person? Yeah, like, crazy. there's the limit there. It's like, you know, he's just talking, right? But like, because and, and that's like where a lot of it doesn't help. The, the, to go into your point here, Rich, because we're talking about that a lot, but generally, is that. First of all, Britain's really excluded because, like, your form of, like, nationalism that you have, like, around you, like, informs your bias. And Britain is heavily excluded from continental 
like nationalism where like you compete with your continental rivals britain really doesn't care that yeah. much about it Very like and nationalism in britain is completely different but if you go on to the actual continent from my experience of like who it's not like i've read like a survey or anything or a report but i would say like continental rivalries like the dutch germans the yes, german french yeah. french spain italy everyone like <laughs> but i will say the, the one thing which i'll say about that was the inter-britain rivalry is pretty yes, fucking exactly. intense yes so okay. I'm, I, I come from rugby as a sport and there was a really famous six nation which is the the european uh, rugby union tournament where um it, it it didn't actually air but it is so iconic that even though it never hit tv it's still referenced which was effectively um a camera panning over to a load of fans of different countries in the six nations just the welsh fans and they say england and the scottish yeah. fans and they say England and the French fans say Angleterre or whatever and then it finally comes around to the English fans at the end of it and they say oh you know Ireland oh Wales maybe France and at the end of it, it just goes to like a rugby ball on the ground and it says it's not about who wins it's yes. about who loses yeah it's exactly. a fucking zinger that is a great advert it's one of my favorite adverts of all time but we don't really have that with the continent to the same degree we're too busy like again fist fighting our own like yeah terrestrial neighbors England and France like dislike each other but Britain like as like a thing like Scottish people and like French people have no like historical thing it was actually but even that's like, yes, even that's exactly. kind of outdated though. Like exactly. the England's the, the the two classics I guess would be like England and the French and England and the Germans. But really the whole German thing is like especially now is purely was purely on the basis that they just kept winning over us at really important moments yeah. it wasn't actually like a deep set hatred or like bitter rivalry or anything like that it really just wasn't and the same with the like even now the french england thing like doesn't exist at all really on the english side like we just don't really care anymore we just care about our own insular rivalries within themselves like football clubs with like london I'd clubs argue within england, london australia like... in different sports I mean, in, also... in, in rugby and yeah, in cricket, cricket england yeah. australia is bigger than that yeah it's true very like true a... yeah it's also to give people like a sense of like belonging <coughs> of like but like a sense of belonging that actually has a degree of like yeah. being successful behind it like kc isn't just successful because all the french teams can get behind kc because so many different teams of lots of different teams have tried to do that right um was it millennium was a french team yes. in the early days yeah. and they're just they didn't they never managed to do oh to, do, to do, do you want to talk about uh do you want to talk about the trackball mid laner no uh, Kerb, we're not talking Kerb. about Kerb. um but <laughs> the fizz got himself but like would you call it casey as like the perfect mix of like like a attracted personality who had like his own like streamer basis who then turned it into a localism who then turned it into general nationalism who then turned it into like the buy-in for like the team and that is like you know the path to general like success if you wish to go down that avenue and obviously the mad lions are beginning to go down that avenue um i would say with less fervor a little bit like i feel like mad lions don't go as into it as well, the they KC are now people. but no, they yeah, were before yeah yeah that's what i'm saying they're they're now they're like like buying into it in like a big way but i don't i don't feel like their social media and the personalities associated with mad lions are as heavy like going for it um, but now, obviously, like, because I buy, like, I buy, I buy, I buy, I can't, I remember, I just will never know how to pronounce oh, it. The, be the beast has been awoken, I'm pretty sure, especially, yeah. like, after this weekend. But by the way, I would just say, as a British person, as an English person, I do dislike that about Britain. And I do think it's, like, yeah. a cultural... I'll call it a problem, obviously. It's just for a apathy. Lot of people, it's not. Yeah, it, it, exactly. I hate, I hate apathy in sports. And for example, no. in like people talk about 
you know, when it comes to, you know, again, football or something like that, it's coming home thing or whatever. That is more of like a meme than anything, even among like English people. It's, we don't take it that seriously. But if you go and watch like the reaction Arsenal, uh, West Ham or like the actual club side of it is fucking yeah yeah the club that's, that's the thing though we have the the the, the club aspect in in that sense but like if you go and watch like the reactions from like the Argentinian fans like when they won the oh, yeah. the world cup or whatever and the cameras inside houses like all the women and the girl and probably a lot even though obviously it's more of like an embedded cultural thing in South America generally it's much more the national pride than the sport itself. And there are literally like girls and women like crying in the streets when they won. You know, you would never see mm. that unless they were really drunk from like British equivalency, like in this country, but I think. Like they don't, don't care. Our football, like, football hooligans are quite intense. No, no, that's not what I mean though. Like yeah. if, you're, okay, if, you're, if you're dating someone and they're like, right. um, oh God, he's always watching that football. When the World Cup comes around, she's not suddenly going to be like crying if we win, you know? She's yeah. not going to okay. give a yeah. fuck. So I guess like, Whereas, I think we have the extreme, we have the extreme stuff, just not like, like the middle ground of fans, yes. which are like invested, yeah, but most just football, like invested. Exactly. most football in Britain is a form of localism, right? And yeah, that yeah, and that sure. is like where it comes. Like obviously, the fact that everyone likes to talk about when Liverpool won the Champions League in Istanbul, the city ran out of like champagne and prosecco yeah. because everyone just kept on partying yes. non-stop, yeah, and yeah. Liverpool and the place got like absolutely like turned over. Well, but on you go. And we well we had like I mean the seventies was a horrible time for football violence when you had yeah. Everton Liverpool and Man U and you Ooh, had the like firms. the London derby so again like you know Arsenal Tottenham and and the um, and stuff like that like it, there was genuine like deaths and violence over this stuff folks so I mean well, we we have a history of like really invested football fans at a club level but like at, hating each other rather than hating, hating each guys. other <laughs> yeah yeah but and, that, like, but then when you come to Scotland is where it actually it's a unique angle because Scotland's actually probably got probably the most or one of the most famous true, like, yeah. legacy matches of all time but it is the reason it is like that it is because they do it is so partisan as in pe mm. you as british it, like british versus irish it is church catholic church. versus protestant yeah. Yeah. It is church versus church it is so divisive right mm. but from that divisiveness right you get the trickle down that there, there would almost be no scottish football without them because it is there's is so much invested into those like teams those teams are like so unbelievably successful right and they attract like such a huge percentage of the f the fan base of like scotland right and it's it has its own unhealthiness attached to it right obviously right but you can begin to see some of the fruits of that for lec that regardless of how good a team is at any given time if you can get someone to constantly invest their time to watch the team not because of the <coughs> players that is on it or that the quality of the team but before some key. like social yeah for some yeah. social attachment that is like the golden ticket that's now, fan sustainability and yeah. going forward yeah. because players come and go and yeah you know but here's my I, I will always watch a telecom war regardless exactly. of KT or shit regardless of like if it was like 20 when was the shit? Yeah, 2018 SKT or whatever. Like even I would the still telecom war, even the telecom war wore off because the team thing wasn't as important. Like during Brood War, where it was like player on player or like player on player with like teams. You know what I mean? And mm. like because and you'd have like team kills and because you had to put forward like your best guy and he would ha he would keep playing until he lost and then yeah. you know what I mean? And there was such and because it was a versus game. It's not that the players, because you're quite respect, they were quite respectful, but you could actually see, based on the listings, who wanted to play who and who wanted to be it, and it was there was just so many years of it happening. It was like it was a lot of fun to watch. The one thing I would say, and now this highlights, okay, a little bit of the problem. When did the franchise come in, guys? What did, when did it come in? Twenty nineteen. Then what the fuck have all the other teams been doing for five years? 
Well, that 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 is the thing. This is not like you can look at K Corp and Mad Lions and say their fans are annoying and say all these things. And it's only been three days, one week. We'll see how sustainable it actually is. But I think a lot of people who generally feel that there there has been like a mood change. What have the other teams been doing? Because for me. Fnatic and G2 have cultivated a successful fan base, right, okay? Now, have they expanded the way they could? But generally, I, I think they've, like, done well, G2 in particular, because of where they, like, came from. Um, with, like, their branding, they're through, like, Carlos and stuff. Yeah. I actually think it was, like, amazing Um, how they are, like, super serious, successful, but they have got the tongue-in-cheek, like, they can, like, fuck up and, like, make fun of themselves when it is, like, required. But the rest of the teams, it's, like, you know what I mean, rogue... Like lifeless, profileless. I, I don't even know like what it is. I even liked the teams for like years. It was still like that, even when I liked the teams. Um, SK Gaming. I mean, let's put it this way, right? Like they have. I mean, let's. You know, they're not spending millions and millions, but these teams spend a substantial amount on content crews or whatever, and they keep pumping out generic shit. And that's it. Let's put it this way. My fucking channel gets more views than any of these teams, like outside of G2 and Fnatic. Now that the national stuff's coming in or whatever, and obviously K Corp, like these teams will start snowballing that. But they should also take advantage of this new sort of partisan aspect and really try and build up, make hype stuff around, yeah. you know, previewing games against teams that you in theory don't like or whatever. I, I think that is definitely an angle towards not just fan sustainability, but also profitability in terms of viewership. Again, just to bring up quickly, the K Corp uh, Mad slash Koi game broke viewership records and K Corp. For regular season. For regular day season. Three of yes. a week one. Yes. And K Corp. It's a Monday game. R03 and Mad, they, they've started perfectly fine, like well enough beyond a lot of people's expectations, but they're not like. So these aren't two incredible titans fighting each other. And got smashed on day two. They got yeah. smashed. So it's not like they're the best team in the exactly. league. Exactly. This is just two teams where it's beyond our expectations of like what the players are going to do necessarily. It's just everyone's so invested in the debate, in the the fandom, in like the all, the rivalry, which didn't even really exist before all, all the shit talking online, right? So I think that is definitely something. And again, the problem with all the previous rivalries was basically the only reason to even watch beyond like I'm watching good players playing League of Legends is you're watching a G2 or whoever and trying to gauge like how well might this team do internationally and represent Europe because Europe was something we could all get behind. But this idea of like, oh, it's XL versus SK. Like there are no... Re let's, there are no real hardcore XL fans. Well, there's no casual reason to watch it, right? Exactly. Like, now, it, there might have been splits where they, you know, XL had some moments where they I think, early split of 22 or something like that when they had, like, the Marcoon roster. They had some good <laughs> moments then. But, like, and if you're a casual viewer, it's hard to sell people on that because you actually yeah. have to get into, like, the in-depth of it. I also think, my, I guess my last point on this would be we've had a couple of orgs that have just utterly failed and then bowed out of the league despite having an opportunity to build a fan base. The biggest one for this was Misfits, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Misfits, and to an extent, Vitality as well. When you had, like, the... Oh, that's a waste of money. The, you, you had the, um, you know, you had the, the Cabochard, Vitality, um, Yamato Cannon roster. <laughs> Fantastic showing at Worlds that one year. They didn't get that agreeable, but it was like, the, everyone gripped onto that story in Oh, yeah, that storyline was like, sick. What yeah, but, the, but then where did that go? Because they, they didn't find that lightning in a bottle again, and yeah. they never really built on that. And they built Super Team, 
teams and then they waste them two years back to back misfits they tried to build a super team after they had like their season seven um five game series versus yeah, skt as well that was the power of evil roster they lost that they tried to build a super roster that failed there are a couple of really big teams where you think actually if they'd managed to really stick the landing and build something beyond just one flash in the pan year we would have such a different landscape right now but i think that's where you really show um lack of like overhead direction i think or maybe there are just logistical roadblocks which cropped up too much for them or whatever i'm not sure but the direction was never really there to build these kind of rivalries so and you could even say like i mean teams which i was hopeful for was something like a shalk and Fear as well yeah. you know we've had a lot of orgs drop in and out and they've never really you know stuck the landing yeah, and again the, the, oh. the, the, the storyline and all the interest was around like the miracle run or whatever it was never actually attached oh, to yeah. anything beyond that like you can't build a brand around your form <laughs> that's like that no, doesn't you, a lot so, uh, sometimes sometimes well you if your serial win if your yeah. brand is serial winning sure but beyond well, but that like, when when OG won TI when they weren't supposed to, they like created a brand around that team based oh, on also those, like Arvin, another team that bowed. Yeah, yeah like with the card, they they like created a brand around like like that miracle run and like the yeah, power of the, friendship. But again, oh, the thing with OG's like Dota team is OG was literally owned by Level Ninety Nine, which was a marketing firm who just yeah like they were a marketing firm who had a team so yeah their branding and their re-angling was always going to be good because these were actually people who like knew what they were doing in that sense can i just say about the landscape of like what <laughs> things look like are going moving forward so uh, you know mad lions have got a uh, evi right and then the kc guys have got i don't i can't remember the kometo and a couple other ones right to me, the actual people who looked like they tooled up the best, like going into this, was Fnatic because they got Kedril. And so anyone who's not officiated by like these like attractions to these streamers, a lot of them for like the co-streaming are going to end up going to Kedril uh, stream. And like, for example, I don't know how much it costs them to get Kedril and stuff like that. But like a lot of the other like teams don't have like their guy mm. and. Uh, go. I'm gonna I'm gonna hard disagree with this for a couple of reasons. What so ba my understanding is, and this is this is not you know me leaking something or whatever, just going off their their public interactions is that basically Cadrill was not allowed to co-stream unless he was associated with a team. Only teams can co-stream LEC. Right? They're very the, they're the, very like tight on their co-streaming. Pete so. Pete literally like reached out to him while he was live streaming, and they were like, "Let's make this happen because it's sad if you don't co-stream." Typically, when people like Cadrill or whoever join do something with a team, first of all, you never really fully associate them with that org, particularly no, because no, no. of how fickle the relationships are. And I do believe that Cadrill will probably not be there for very long because, spoiler alert, it does not make any financial sense for anyone to, ha uh, to for any team to sign someone like Cadrill in terms of what it's going to cost them versus what it actually does for their team brand. I mean. Remember, Cadrill is not was... tied tightly enough to them. He is too big of an individual figure. Yes. The thing is that Ebay and Kometa, because they own their teams, yeah, like, I, there's I the connection. Cadrill doesn't have that, because, you know, he, is, he was, you know, the biggest caster in the world. He's one of the biggest streamers as well in League of Legends. But you don't too. think, like, Fnatic, uh, uh, the joke me and my friends had is that, who, what sponsors are Fnatic going to lie to and basically say these Cadrill fans are Fnatic fans? Well, well, so there was like, something, that's, I think that's, was, that's what I, I was think... saying. It's like, you, you know, awesome. you, can go get, you can go get the infographic, the but the problem like, is that Cadrill, Cadrill was literally on XL <laughs> as a streamer, yes. and they literally got rid of him because it did not make them any money at but, all. So there, there is one point bonus here. I think Thorin mentioned this on Summoning Insight, the last one which he did, which is, you know, Cadrill putting this one tweet out saying, look, 
if this gets 100,000 likes, they will 000. wear the rat, basically like a rat jersey on stage, which is his whole thing with the stream. And actually, that got a hell of a lot of interaction. Hmm. If you can show that to a sponsor, that's actually more believable. It's just in terms of how many ways can you create that kind of interaction where fans will actually go from a meme that you said or whatever into actually activating something in terms of sponsors, in terms of brands and whatever. You have that's piece the bonus. Nothing. But like at least Fnatic did something. Like they yeah. have like Kedro and they have them for like the one like the one week, right? Like who's doing uh, like uh, for example like SK Gaming. Like so the the team that I'm surprised there isn't one, and I can I could have imagined I could peer behind the scene that they're maybe organising one as like G2. It makes the most sense for G2 to have but some level. as well, another big. But, yeah, but keep, uh, yeah. keep in mind, like okay, so G2 at some point had Yuli. No one gave a fuck. BDS have Medic. Whatever you think of Medic, like in terms of that specific relationship, no one gives a fuck. I always forget that he has anything to do with BDS and vice versa. Yeah, but like, SK say it was like, like... has Trouble Inc. Does anyone give a fuck? Like, no one actually cares about these relationships because they're not they're they're not seen as real relationships. They're seen as like also trans... Trouble mainly does TFT for us. Yeah, but you, that it's basically uh... not a legal relationship. Yeah, it's just transact. It's all just transactional. Like the the reason why like Ibai is so believable. Ibai. And Comento, both not being able to speak English, actually unironically helps as well with like cultivating these so, fan bases. Actually, on the SK thing, I think there is a specific thing with Mercedes being a sponsor of SK, which means that they can't show violence in any of the streams associated with Mercedes. Which means that you can do something like TFT, but I don't know whether you can even do something. You can't do Valorant, I don't think. I don't think you can do something. I don't even know if that allows League. No way. But with Mercedes, Mercedes and SK. Mercedes, yeah. So I've heard, I've heard this about other sponsorships so that Mercedes T have done. But this uh, also might explain T1 or Mercedes I... sponsors? Huh? Mer T1 or Mercedes sponsors? Yeah, but this is a region regionalized, like... Yeah. Policy though, but like it? I don't. Yeah, but I'm, that, that, I, I'm, I'm pretty that's sure so that actually hard. SK might might have issues with actually showing violence on. This, is, defi this is definitely true, by the way. What Nightmare is saying is definitely true. I don't know, like, if it's true. I don't know whether that's specific today, to this, but this has but been yeah. true for sure. Yeah, this has been true before. Wait, I, I, I can imagine. S I can true. imagine Mercedes Germany not wanting to be associated with video games violence because of like Germany's relationship, but like. If it's Mercedes Germany, I, I can believe I can believe that. I don't know what the sponsorship is, but like yeah. if you've simultaneously got another like sponsor, like say like you know Mercedes Korea, I don't know if it is Mercedes. All Korea, of SK's in... deals are like regionalized. That's why they have like Reve right. supermarkets yeah. and stuff like. Okay. Also okay, worth noting that SK have actually done a really good job with their sponsors. Yes. They're actually a pretty solid org. I think they're um, actually the closest to profitable. I know. I know that G two did post like profit numbers for like twenty twenty two or something but spoiler alert that was like the only year that they posted those numbers and when you see their 2023 numbers obviously esports winter so they're yeah. going to be down again by the way the last thing i just say on this topic before we move on is i think that you know uh mr i will dominate you need to be a bit consistent because <laughs> you came out i know your motto's your boy or whatever but you just a week before said that EU was way too sensitive and couldn't take jokes or whatever. And then, you know, you chuck your toys out of your pram when it apparently gets a bit below the belt with a buy or whoever it was. Like this, all this stuff is good as far as I'm concerned. Until I see something which is like beyond the pale or really out of order or it becomes like a meta of people, like everyone insulting each other's families or some ridiculous shit. Like I'm fine with this until, you know, further notice. So it is what it is. I think it's probably very good for the space. Right. Let's actually start talking about some of these teams' ability to play the game or not. Yeah, so for those of you that have come to this timestamp for gameplay, welcome. Yeah, hi. Yeah. No. Uh, for those of you who want to hear more about uh, the fistfights that Nymera may have witnessed, then DM him. Uh, yeah, I so... didn't... 
Uh, well, no, do you know why he I didn't? I didn't see the fist fights. <laughs> he was in them. Yeah, yeah. that's me. Yeah. yeah. So me. Sam was the cameraman. Right. So let's talk about the first team who may lack the ability to play League of Legends. Uh, my boys at K Corp represent. Uh, so they went 0-3, unfortunately, this week. Uh, I actually don't think they looked terrible going 0-3. I thought they showed like certain signs of life. I think a couple of our players... Yeah, I think a couple of players didn't look particularly great. Uh, shout out to Veteran for putting Cabo as S plus on his top tier list. That will go down as an all top one of the takes I of all think time. He was a uh, lot better than I expected him to be, and he was still fucking dog shit. So what does that say? Uh, Targamas also to me looks pretty horrible, uh, which was fairly predictable. I actually thought Bo looked quite good. Obviously, he did make some Whoa. mistakes. He did make some mistakes, but he was the life of the party at Cape Cod. If if they were gonna, by the way. It, so far as K Corp were in those games, it was Bo. It yep. was Bo. So Ooh. you can talk about mistakes that he made or whatever. I wouldn't disagree at all. I, I do I also not... don't think upset was bad. I think no, upset no, was fine. No, no, he had a mare. No, well, in one of the games. No, he had some bad moments. One of the games. There were some bad moments, but I think on the whole, I think his Lucian game was, you know, okay. But here's the yeah. thing K Corp were in two close games, and as many mistakes as we could all individually go in and point out for Bo. Bo was solo carrying those games for K Corp, like legit solo carrying. So I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it, Kira. He was he was the man. Anyway, I'll come to you first on this, Kira. What do you what do you make of K Corp? Basically, they, they had a lot of questions to answer. They answered none of them. Not really surprised. I talked about <laughs> it. Basically, the thing, the reason I had them in Mad Lions is because they both had tons of questions to uh, low. They had tons of questions to answer. Uh, Mad Lions looks like they answered like some of those like questions and like you know what I mean. I'm always like if you know how I, like I do my listings, I'm always going to be wrong because if I the less information I know about a team, the lower I'll probably put them and. You know what I mean? Like Mad Lions look like the better version, but K Corp basically were were my worries. They were like the example of all my worries where you have pieces that to me on paper don't look like they really fit, and then when they do play on like that they do play out, they're like not as good. The only thing I could go through is just to quickly talk about like all of them. Cavill looked a lot better than I expected him to. Um, he had like some like saving grace moments, particularly like somehow his quick responses, like his body slams onto like humanoid um in the Akali games. Like he catch and um, both of humanoid's uh, backline dives. Cavill uh, uh, catches like a flying Akali with a body slam. It's like pretty nice, you know what I mean? It's not it's not something I would expect to always like happen. You'd more often than not like expect it on the land. Now you don't put the biggest pretense behind it, but that's just a little small shout out to Cabo. I don't think you were put it this way, his like input into like the games wasn't like utterly like game losing. Um Bo is still the Bo has the exact same strengths as he did like beforehand, which was very good hands, great hands. Uh, you know, in when he good like ability well, like within the game then it becomes like questionable timings questionable engages questionable like uh presence like objectives based on like the lanes at any given time um even like some of the rookie junglers had like better lane coverage and understanding for me of like where to be on the map now a lot of that could be bo doesn't really speak full english even the people that are like they do speak like English, you know, what I mean, it's English as a second language. I would really be interested to learn how this team like comms and works because when I watched them and how they calmed and work in Emerson houses, that was another reason I was so low down on them. It was absolute chaos. Mm. Uh, 
All three of their the, games, by the way, were complete chaos. Sacking just does not like sacking, and we'll come to other people as well. But like sacking's laning, he was just getting his shit pressed in. Like humanoid on Akali was basically just mocking him at points. Even in though time. humanoid started at fifty percent HP in lane because of yeah, it was, thing. It was like a shocker. Uh, upset. This is the worst I've seen upset play and like individually in a long time. Uh, like opening like when he came into the league remember when he came into the league on vitality just like after nothing he was way better than this how just generally uh, part of the problem is is like when you pick i think he played two games of lucian and a game of caitlin uh, is that correct yes yeah i think so. Right? Right, yeah. the problem with and if you look at lucian's win rate in europe it's hilarious basically you must abuse like the range advantage and the midsection the ability to assassinate and take out the other adc there have been versions of upset that i have seen that have been able to do this that version of upset like didn't play he you know i mean like was forward dashing like into like cc his positioning wasn't as great like it's a hard pick to play i think they should probably just not play it at all on KC if you look at it and they should actually just go for a better like a more scaling um ADC on like KC because it doesn't look like they like him target mass and bow are able to coordinate around like midsection and really abuse that advantage well, I think even early game they had some issues with that yeah. kind of coordination yeah like yeah. and him and target mass together doesn't look like the greatest like laning pair ever in terms of like their effect like on the game i actually have the le least amount of criticism from uh target mass because a lot of the problems are, are happening in the game i don't i really wouldn't expect for him to be plugging them like at the time he can't fucking lane mate like my, my problem with target Mass, and the thing is like i agree with quite a bit of what you said uh, about upset also the picks especially i don't i just don't like where casey are right now i do not like these ad carry picks i feel no, like that caitlin felt helpless at that game state like super yeah. early on just not a, good a lot pick. of that was their own um, fault <laughs> yeah of course yeah of course but this is the thing like firstly i think the way they're playing lanes is just not good. I think that once you ban center out, and obviously like when they had the center in the first game, that was when they were like looking the most competitive. And then as soon as Targamas doesn't get to play center, this guy has massive issues in lane. And I he think he was good on Ash. No, because like well, he was good on Ash. No, um, like I, I'm no the lane part, the lane part of it, the, the laning part. Uh, of it. No. So I reviewed this yesterday, and this is why I got I got to jump in on this because if you look at the game three draft, <laughs> it was. The kind of draft which Kamikor had against Madeline's Koi was the kind of draft that T1 would win worlds with. It is effectively level one brutalized bot lane. Um, okay mid lane matchup, competitive top lane matchup. Yeah, I guess the top lane's a little bit different because you got Zeus. Um, at level one, you need to utilize your Hail of Blades incredibly well to bully that lane out. Now, one of the big problems was Upset and Targamas stacked on each other at level one for a two-person Renata E. That is a massive damage swing. There is no reason to ever stack and eat a two-person, um, like, loyalty program for Renata. Then they turn around and get an auto-attack onto Renata, who's still got the shield. So they both take damage. They put damage into a shield at level one. You've already not gotten the best out of your level one, which is one of the main reasons you pick these champions. I looked at that early laning phase. I'm like, well, you've just completely fucked why, the reason you're playing this. Like, why are you playing this lane if Renata can go up, get a two-person um, E, eat an auto into a shield, back off into the brush, so you don't even get, like, a second auto after that point? That is basic stuff. The only reason we play Ash support, really, is for this laning dominance that you can get out of it. And because I don't... I'm going to put it on Targamus. Actually, I think that his position was really, really awkward at the level one. Um, 
He didn't use his Hail Blades well. He didn't get brush control. He didn't have a good a double uh, volley at level 1-2. He only got one person instead of the two. For me, the laning phase right from that early game, which is most of the win condition of this team composition, because you want to pin back the Aphelios as well, um, was completely misplayed at level 1. So for me, that is and the then, biggest then, misplay you can make. And then two levels later, both starts are recalled that Targamath then yeah. flashes in for his Ash and actually gets the kill. So Bo didn't see that kill. Upset didn't see that kill. Yeah. But Targamath, and if both of them are playing on Targamath's tempo, it's not a single kill as a double kill, or as a single kill flash. Yeah, which is why I think there are multiple issues here. The level yeah. one, I put that on Targamus. The 3v3 bot side was just wall sorts of weird, though. Um, yeah, and if you don't, get, weird, if you don't but... get maximum... So I was talking about this because I reviewed this on stream, <coughs> and I was talking with someone about this who said that they felt like Mad drafted a better composition because they had more varied win conditions, whereas Koi, really their win condition is choking out through laning phase and then just snowballing the game. But that's only a slim win condition, so that's a bad draft. Well, when it's been as consistent and effective as we've seen it at Worlds and the way that we've seen the top teams play, I would say that that's a pretty good draft because we know how powerful that win condition can be, even if it is only a singular win condition or, or a slimmer one than the other team. When they mess up both the 3v3 bot side, which I do agree with, I have no idea what the heck Targamus and Bo were doing at the level 3 bot side, but then also not helped by the fact that the level 1 was not utilized the best it was, I don't know why you're playing this. And that's where it comes back to Rich's point of, why are we picking these bot lanes and these kind of AD carry picks or whatever, when clearly you don't have the proficiency to play out the very early stages of the game with us? I, th I also, I'm very worried for the bot lane in general because I think this is a problem that's going to only get worse in draft because I think teams are going to realize how heavily they can hamstring upset target mass by removing certain picks. Um, so yeah, I think that is a, a massive problem. Um, for me, I, I mean, I had, obviously, as you know, I had K-Corp very low down on my, my tier Oops. list anyway. I well, Shout out Nymera for the first... Uh, Third place, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it's, a, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Yeah, it it, mad lines. exactly. exactly. If yeah. you break your shins in week one, it's not great. <laughs> it's, it's not ideal, but, you know, I, yeah. So I'm I'm not going to, like, jump in and, and prejudge in that sense, but I do think that it was very... We, and I hate this narrative that some people push of like, you have to, like, a, that loyalty towards a player or something means that they deserve, like, a certain amount of playtime or that you can't kick them yet until X. I, I find this whole thing, like, bullshit. Like, if you go into the split and you, for whatever reason, believe that a player cannot play at the LEC level out of fairness to them, apart from anything else, you should get rid of that player. You should replace that player. Again, I'm not going to say that that is true necessarily of all of these players, but it does not surprise me that thus far, in my opinion, Cabo Shard and Targamas do not look at LEC level. Saken, I'm more um, careful on. As I said, I'm not passing judgment on any of them yet, but Saken, I would be willing to give more time to. Um, but Targamas, I've seen Targamas be the worst support laner of all time in Europe, like, for a split already when he was on XL. So it's like, yeah, my, my patience is wearing fairly thin with him. And as I said, my problem with Cabo Shard is that he's always been like the gatekeeper for me. I've watched like maybe every game of this guy's career, probably not, but close to, I've watched a shitload of this guy. And over the last however long, I've, there were periods where he was definitely just hard smurfing in the ERLs, but there have also been periods, especially more recently, when he's looked like the gatekeeper top laner. He will do well at ERL, he will punish ERL level mistakes, but he was doing certain yep. things and he's developed certain habits, which you do not get away with in LEC, and he, to me, does not look like an LEC top laner right now. And the reason why I give 
Bo props, by the way, is you have three struggling lanes. And this guy is making shit happen. This guy is making sure that K-Corp is competitive in every game that they play. And it is off his back. I actually think Bo's been pretty impressive. Definitely made a whole host of mistakes. But I think he's making these mistakes in large part of the back of he's trying to make things happen and he does often make things happen so i think Bo, to me looks quite good so far well, the reason that i think Bo and i stick him on g2 and he make, jumps into the middle of the enemy team and throws the game with like yikes advantages everyone's thing would be he's throwing his position because he doesn't have the numbers two people are on resets why is he jumping in of course bad. but it's apples to oranges though like, no it's not as bad as bad no matter who like he has no, great no, fights no. in that game too yeah so because the just, thing is I, I think the reason that that they actually had themselves in an okay position versus G2 at some points was because Bo chose some very important timings to <coughs> not go in and then peel back. There was a point uh, in mid-game where... So G2 obviously had a very big 1-3-1 composition versus Kami Core. They had the cannon, they had the LeBlanc in side lanes. Now there's a point where it's mid-game-ish where Bo could end up ulting onto upset, but the solo lanes were already collapsing. So he queues over the wall, gets the two, gets the fellows to back off, ults backwards to make sure that his team can peel backwards instead of go too deeply. And that means that the scissor never comes in from G2 and they can end up fighting back towards the mid lane out of tower while the bot lane ends up dealing with the cannon flank with an exhaust as well. There were some moments like that and there was a later pick around the Baron pit onto the fellows with the flash file that ended up being really, really important. So I think given how much pressure the 131 put onto Carmine Core to... Um, choose the correct engages because if you fuck up an engage versus the 131 you either get collapsed on by the solar laners having priority in side lanes and choosing better angles or you don't find the engage and they destroy the map that was one of the problems that Kabashad had was actually while he didn't lose them the game it just he could never find the right angle into a team fight because it's against 131 by the way i don't think that's a Kabashad issue it's just playing against cannon in the side lane just kind of yeah. sucks um i think that bow yeah i i think that he had one or two bad moments on the whole i feel like he was put I feel like they were forced errors, and even then, he had some really good moments of engage. So in that game specifically, I think Bo, he's not the problem for me in that one. I think actually they just got a bit out one three one. So. And the, th the thing is, obviously, he's made like it's definitely a truism, Kira, that bad is bad no matter what. Like in the league context, like yeah. it is bad. Like if you do, if you jump in and engage when you shouldn't, or you don't have the requisite support, yeah, that doesn't become good. No, but it's worse. No, it's no. The thing is, you also no, have to. It's worse when you're the good player and you're the one with the resources. Because the the problem the problem is, is we're all going to talk about here is like, Bo, right? You you play in the context of your environment, right? For for example, like, um, it, like say you're like a top player, okay, and you've like played on like I, I know he's not playing this team like a lot, right? But like you, um. You know, like, your support player isn't really going to ever come top and fix it for you. It's going to be, like, your jungler. You play around, like, that context and that understanding. The same way as, like, Bo, like, has played with people, like, upset. Bo is, like, for, I know you've maybe not got the best thing, uh, best understanding with them. But this team is, like, a team like, that's moving in. Now, Bo is, like, playing these carry junglers, like Jacks, right? Now... You just you can't like throw away your life like frivolously because you're you're responsible for so much of like DPS, 
I think this is the opposite. I think you're. I I think you're arguing against yourself. Like I think it, when the onus is on you to be the carry, and he makes loads of proactive plays, some of them are going to go to shit because he knows it's him or bust. He's making mistakes because yeah, not he's when a good people player. aren't actually on your screen. Like they're these are literally numbers. The like, yeah, can you feel the counting game people? Wasn't great. Yeah, yeah like, wasn't great. But counting numbers yeah. on your screen. Of course, there'll be like individual examples you can point to where you're like, as I said, just bad is bad. I'm yeah. never going to argue that bad isn't bad. But I think that some of these mistakes. Are psychological mistakes because he knows it's him or bust. Yeah, the forced error. So, yeah, he's for, exactly. Guys. He's forcing himself to do stupid shit. By the way, this isn't an excuse. You're a better player if you mm. don't do that. He has is a player with glaring weaknesses and these are you're describing some of his weaknesses like for sure i'm just saying that i think like some of the bad is coming with the good in the sense that he's putting things on his back he's putting games on his back and he's making mistakes off the back right you ready that. for this we are about to talk about i'm going to just just because we're talking about bow we are going to talk about hellasang in a minute okay do you extend the same level of no you're laughing but do you extend no, I the see same the point. Yeah, no, yeah, this is, yeah. no, but this, you, is, no, this is the... No, because we're all going to call Hillisang a fucking ending yeah, dog. Because, minute, right? Yeah, but, but Hillisang <laughs> has no Hillisang good plays. Go <laughs> Hillisag, it's the reducto ad absurdum of Bo playing the support oh, position. Yeah. No, he is. He there is no currently. I love Hillisang, legend, one of the best ever Western supports. Currently, there is no upside to Hillisang. So every time who, he ends, who, who's making a play? Who, who's who's the playmaker? Because if you go look, oh, is it that Hillisang's making these bad timing plays? And because Hillisang is dead, right? Uh, we then can't make a good play, or is nobody going to make a play? And because Hellasang makes any play, and but he's it's just all on the spectrum, like, though. It's like I can it's... play that role. Put me in, coach. Like I'll be the guy who presses R to go in. Like he's yeah, just—you're not allowed. To, yeah, but you can't use it when you can't use a, a comparison where the guy you're comparing him to has made zero <laughs> plays and it's just yeah. permainting. Like Bo for me right now is kind of like. 70% good, 30% well, bad in what he's doing. Hillisang is yeah, like 90-10 the so, other way. And, this, and in regards to, we, there are a couple of players that we haven't talked about as much in the calming core side of things where I feel like, um, I don't think Saken has been awful. I think he's been okay. I mean, like the, the humanoid one, not great, actually. Um, and against Caps as well, he looked a little bit stupid push, pushing R buttons into nowhere because <laughs> Yike yeah. managed to mind game him and stuff. Um, I will say the big problem with Saken is that he was in positions to impact games and didn't. So what you have there is effectively a bit of a reflection of, well, maybe, you know, well, it's, I don't think it's a complete reflection to Bo, but it's like, if Saken was trying to make some plays, maybe that means that Bo doesn't have the same pressure on him to do something else. And I agree that in the vitality sense, yes, there isn't a whole lot of good stuff going there. Um, and I think it's a big issue when you have a bot lane that's playing for lane dominance, say with the Ash, uh, Caitlyn, and then you also have in the mad Koi game, you know, two solo laners that are either in mid lane, not achieving very much, or in top lane, actively losing you the game because Mirren gets a huge lead on that Akali. You know, what do you do as Bo at that point? You know, there's very little platform to go towards. So I think in the case of Bo, I think the Jax game wasn't great. I think the other two games, I think versus G2, actually had some pretty solid Vi moments. Yeah. I think in the third game, yeah, the Shinzao had really good moments on killing Super in the bot lane and, and stuff like that. He had a pretty okay... He had a huge lead in jungle, actually. I think he was really uh, he good in the mad yeah. game. So I think, you know, I think Bo had two out of three pretty good games, actually, but on an individual gets, level. Bo gets two kills out of that bot lane, by the way, for people that we were literally criticizing. Like, the second kill into Super is literally Targamath walking up level four to six, right? And trading with Super... Yeah. Perks then walks into range, ults him, and then Bo catches him uh, just before his turret. And then Bo's, like, got the kill for it. But none of that happens. Like, Bo cannot kill Super if Targamath doesn't start the trade. 
Sure, it's like but a... I also feel like it's just that for me. I put an unreal amount of importance on level one in bot lane for Ash. Yeah, support, like he fucked up. Like yeah. I'm not yeah. saying he didn't fuck it up, but yeah, sure. Here's the thing that my my criticism about ball is it's like if ball right because it's it's what you can illustrate. Your play is always in your own hands. I would be so much more forgiving ball if the um you you know you you set up the fights you wait for the correct numbers you then go in and you lose the fights because you get outplayed you get out hands but you actually take the correct shape you take the correct like the uh, team fight you go on the correct targets and it all makes like sense and sometimes he does do that but there are so yeah, many I think in the G there's a lot of moments in the G2 game where that that's the case yeah yeah and but then there's uh, the problem is is when I watch other moments with like Bo it's like the reason he opens himself up to like th this sort of criticism that I'm talking about is because he, he when people want to like give him like the credit or the benefit of the doubt but from spring to summer to this year these tendencies like have not changed they're they are these exact same tendencies and we have now changed a lot of the players like around bow now a lot again as i said the opening statement a lot of that i actually put down to like language difficulties like, the carmen's corpse comms look absolutely atrocious they just look hellish to play under and so like i can be forgiven but the horrible reality is construction is, on both teams as well yeah, like horrible the reality yeah. is is I'm I, I, like signaling the criticism onto Bo because at the end of the day, it's like no matter who, if that was he was on G2, if he was on Fnatic, if no matter what team he was on, that play is never good. Like that, it's not good to like start that play. It's not good to do X, Y, again. Z, I mean, I agree, I agree with you, but I don't think he would do it. I think if he's on G2, like there's so much scope to pick and choose your moments to go outside the box or do something that's a bit like risky or whatever. I do think that it's a mindset thing where you're on a team that's not particularly strong. By the way, spoiler alert, they've been getting smashed in scrims as well. Like this is not a good team right now. So it's not like, oh, it's a clean slate, nil-nil, I'm just going to be a psychopath. Like I do right. heavily suspect that he thinks there's a lot of onus on him to constantly make things to get his team ahead. I'll, I'll throw one last question to you actually. Do you think, because I think this is the case, on average, this team has the worst performing solo laners out of week one? Oh, yeah. I think that the only reason that this is true is because Photon did really fucking good. But I think that they have the worst solo laners out of any team in the LEC out of week one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not, not, yeah, not close. Uh... Yeah, it's, it's not yeah, Even yeah, with Cabochard, like, having some okay moments, and maybe the Malphite no, game no, is more you're, of a you're right. I'll, I'll, I'll... Uh, basically, yeah, with Cabochar, basically, his game against Fnatic was uh, actually had some, like, decent moments that people, like, didn't look at the scoreline and, like, the assumed he played was... bad. But yeah, his other, game games, his other games were shit, so I don't know, he's, he's been poor. Anyway... And I don't think Saken has been solo game losing, but, like, he could have won games and... He's, he's not so. been great, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll see how K-Corp do this following week. Um, right, let's talk about the other half of the... what the Riot broadcast are probably going to try and rename to like El Clasico, even though it's a fucking French team versus Spanish team. So Mad Coy, who obviously we all gave very strong opinions on when we did our um, tier list show, they performed, I think, better than most people had expected. Hugely so. Um, yeah. By the way, the, the game against Heretics into then what Heretics did afterwards is like really weird, like actually truly strange. Um, I'm not saying that like Heretics were world-bendingly good or something, but to be that horrendously bad no, that's against draft... that's no, I, I know, I know. Draft... Well, more to... Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that. I know that like played a played a part, 
but even so like fuck me um but yeah so let's talk a little bit uh, more more about mads then uh kira what have you been impressed by what don't you like what anything that's uh, sort of adjusted your expectations or you that you didn't see coming about this team so far uh okay so like Aloya's like standard like way up he's actually just you know better than he was last year at the things he was like good at two years before you know good at lane coverage good at linking up with solo laners to um control the map the thing that's really surprising for me and that was like i didn't think he was going to be like that good because he hadn't shown it but he is that good but that's to be expected he has been in the past, like good job, Aloya. You know, legal, the European League is always better when people like Aloya are good. It's just the press and watching them when they're bad, right? Because you know how good they can be. Um, the stars of the show for me is the bot lane, Super Alvaro. I was always higher on Super than Rich. I actually think Super was like pretty good. I was never I one of those folk. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was never one of those folk that like thinking that he was like some sort of like the second coming of Christ. But I always thought he was like. He could play in the LEC, but there's like a lot of people that you could say that about. Um, and they picked him because he was Spanish. The st like Alvaro. Just to be clear, by the way, that was basically my opinion on Super, which is that I think he's like LEC ready, but ADC is just stacked, and I don't expect yeah. or didn't expect I expect him to be lower on the list, you know, on in terms of like ADCs. But I've never said Super was bad. I don't think he's bad. But sorry, on you. Go. Uh no, Alvaro as uh, was like probably like the sleeper star for me. Um, he had like lots and lots, uh, lots and lots of uh, good games. Uh, he like played, you know, as expected. He like he played like pretty well, uh, linking up, good timings. The only concerns I've have is post lane. So like, the good one was when I watched for Scove, he executed, you know, the. Uh, LeBlanc into LeBlanc. the rise, yeah. yeah. He Le LeBlanc into the rise kill condition because when you get fed that as a LeBlanc, it is the onus is on you to just chain kill the rise, which which did with like jungle. Good job, boys. You actually did do it. Uh, Frescovi and Merwin post lane are well. There's only been three games, but based on the three games, they're not like amazing. They're not like spectacular. There's a lot to work up work up there. Particularly in Merwin, when you're handed that type of lane advantage on Akali, and everyone's going to say, like, oh, you know what I mean? Yeah, the idea, come up with all the excuses. When you're given the cake, or, like, you know, you're given the Ferrari, you don't crash it. You're, the plan is to, like, drive it, like, safely and get it over the finish line. Uh, and Merwin's, like, Akali, great in lane, huge advantage. And then team fights and executions like that wasn't brilliant. Uh, sometimes his target selection was a bit strange. Uh... But overall, it's like, you know, I've already got this feeling, Rich, this is going to be, you know, I put BDS ninth last mm -hmm. year and like 10th, but this will be my year, teams like this year's BDS, where it's, it looks already to be like an actual League of Legends team, where they're greater than the sum of their parts. Now, mo how good a team is, in my opinion, has nothing to do with BO1 League of Legends, it's yeah, all to do yeah, with series play. Um, So, like, you know, we were just here talking, spitballing a little bit, but they're a lot better in terms of coordination and timings than I thought they would be so kudos to them you know they wanted this lineup they wanted this coaching staff so hopefully they make it all the way I'm excited to how long they can keep the train rolling or if you know there's going to be like some figuring outs of like the play styles yeah I think this team is mega capped but I think they came into the split like very well prepared um so from that i would extrapolate that they're at least reasonably well coached it seems like obviously coaching to me like the biggest thing about coaching one of the reasons for example why i've never been like hugely praising of freddie for example even though i don't know 
what any of these coaches do really is like I think adaptation is the most important thing in league and I think rogue those rogue lineups didn't win nearly as much as they should have because when it actually came to the crunch it's if you get figured out if your plan a gets figured out how well do you adapt how many plan b's do you have and I feel like that's obviously you know yet to be tested I do think they've come in better than I expected one thing that disturbs me quite a lot was the Frescovy performance against Niski because Niski not great, is yeah. not a player who wants to like sit in front of your face and style on you, but he kind of was doing that. Like he did not respect him at all. Like I think Niski legit, not in like, <laughs> not in a, a overtly disrespecting way, but I think Niski thinks Frescovy is fucking dog shit because he was doing so many things that he's not like stereotypically Niski, if you like just in front of him because he knew he could get away with it and he just had no respect for what this guy was going to show him the other way. And Frescovy didn't do anything to make Niski think otherwise. So that game is actually fairly disturbing. If you just focus on the mid lane and what Frescovy's doing in response to every move that Niski's making, kind of gross. And Niski actually gets caught and dies at one point and that does not deter him like at all. He keeps doing everything as, yeah. as if it didn't even happen. So to me, that was kind of disturbing. Um, and Frescovy is one of the players I do think is very, very hard capped on this team. Um, but yeah, obviously they're riding a wave. Um, I said I thought Alvaro was LEC ready. Again, part of that's obviously because of the pool. I think he played well. I think Super played well. Um, definitely beyond my expectations for week one for him. So yeah, I think they look fine. I don't think this team will do anything in the best ofs. I think they'll probably get there just by virtue that they already have two wins. So, you know, mathematically, you've got teams who have no wins and there's two of well, them. One team so... needs to fuck up a best of one versus them. Exactly. That, yeah. add that as well. And that exactly. can happen with any team in the LEC. Um, i got two fun things about uh, <coughs> Mad Coy to bring up here. One, the mic check video went live for lec for this week and you know everything we were talking about on our tier list video about they're okay, all well, speaking english speak spanish they speak english yep. folks so that whatever we were talking about in terms of spanish speaking roster um by the way sorry the very one. very yeah very very quickly on this because i think i now do know like the full story so there were a couple of people who like jumped in on the comments on the last thing and they're like yes he speaks back apparently that is just not true at all so you guys are cunts you've just made that up so, um so apparently he does speak spanish and he went to university in spain and stuff like that too it's just like it's but, not necessarily but conversation he's, sorry spanish yeah level. he's not speaking spanish let's put it yes. that way in the context of the team he's not speaking spanish that yep. team is speaking English. So that that is cut and dry, just to get that completely out of the way. But yeah, sorry, go on. And also the other thing is actually, I am surprised at how much of Movistar Riders we see in this Madlands Koi identity. Now, of course you have <laughs> Melzer as the, as the coach, um, and he has a certain way that he wants to play early game. A lot of that is then in-game dictated by Alvaro. Alvaro was the main Movistar Riders early game uh, shot caller. And he is, a, from everything which I'm hearing from people who know him, he's a player which is very good at, like, understanding the whole map state early and coordinating with his jungler very well. I didn't necessarily expect this because I thought there would be El Yoya being the, kind of, the main, kind of, like, driving force of this team. But apparently Alvaro is, like, a big part of the shot calling too in the early game. I have largely really liked what Alvaro has been doing. Um, now, I have some worries about what happens to this team if they fall behind in early game plans, because that was another feature of Movistar Riders 2. They actually have good early game plans. They managed to execute on them very well. Obviously, the game versus Heretics, I mean, the game was just kind of, you know, over very, very quickly in, in uh, the the level 3 blue buff invade on bot side. That effectively ended the game um, in regards to, to that first one. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, if they can keep more of these early game plans, best of ones are going to be okay for them. You know, best of ones will get you through to the playoffs. Will they do better, you know, in multiple games versus the same team if they have a chance to walk away from like a shit early game in game one and a best of three mm -hmm. or a best of five? I think that could be an issue. But yeah, I mean, given how I viewed this team and I thought, yeah, you know, you've got a lot of rookies, you've got potentially a solo laners that could get blasted. I think they've done much better than that. I think Super's been very, very good when he's been given resources. Like, oh my God. Game three that, that they had, the one versus Kamin Core, yeah. he was focused super hard, but as soon as like he got his resources, the dude put out insane damage. And the team did really well to keep him alive. So I think there's a lot of hallmarks of good stuff there. Again, kind of echoing what you guys have said, I think they're capped to a certain level. I think that they've shown some good stuff. Do I expect them to be making deep runs in playoffs? No. Do I expect them to get to playoffs now? Yeah, actually, probably, given what they've shown in a best of one. Um, when it comes to, you know, spring or summer and the meta changes and whatever, we'll get to that. I'm fairly happy with Mirwin as well. There was one really good moment against Kabashard, which allowed him to be somewhat of a win condition. Yes, I agree. There were some points where he got caught out in side lane. It was like, post laning phase, there were some issues. There was also some moments too where, you know, I think it's the 24 four minute Baron fight or whatever. He has a really good angle to kind of like zone off Cabo, forces flash and then flash it, then get um, get a, his ult to onto um, the rest of the team of Carmen Corp. That was a really good moment. Um, but a lot of that started actually from some very intelligent laning. He hits level six um, first in the laning phase, forces an early recall from Jax who takes like a bag trade. But he realizes there's like one of his own minions left alive, which can then sit on the other side of the lane. They both back, they both teleport into the lane, but it'll be a slow push back towards him. Which means that you are an Akali who's just blown flash on the enemy laner, who then has an extended lane to run down with the first ult of the game um, with Ignite as well. He gets that kill, solar kill, even though Kabashard managed to get under turret. And effectively, once that laning, la laning lead has come through, after the teleport had been blown, he has such an indestructible lead at that point that it doesn't matter that he fucks up a couple of the angles later. The damage has been done to the Jax, who is no longer a factor. So there are some points there where I'm like, actually, Mirwin, good on you. Didn't expect you to be doing that much damage. Um, yeah, some issues with, you know, there was a there was a bot lane inhib turret fight which didn't really work out well and he gets shut down for free, don't get me wrong. But like there are good moments here and I I didn't expect him to be showing this much firepower in week one. Yeah, I think Merwin's been fine. I do think specifically in the K Corp game, there were just multiple mix uh, mis executions where K Corp could have just killed him for his mistakes and they just didn't they just didn't press their buttons. Oh, properly. did you see you know the kill and upset in top lane? He cancels the yeah. auto and misses his and he yeah. still gets the kill. Yeah, and that was that was <laughs> I'm like, buddy, make your job easy. <laughs> that was like the worst 1v1 I've seen in a long time. I mean, I don't know what upset's doing. He's just walking yeah, up. That was a like giving Moen the opportunity to break vision whenever he wants, because they're right by a bush and he's like just walking into melee range and then yeah, that was yeah, that was rough. Um but no, I think yeah, generally they look okay. I think um I think I'm right in saying they have a pretty nasty schedule this week. I think they have G2 and SK. So um, that'll be a better... G2, BDS, and Rogue. Oh, G2, week. BDS. Oh. oh, no, my mistake. You know what I was looking at, Kira? I was looking at Heretic's <clears throat> schedule because I thought we were probably going to talk a lot about Heretics today. But, you know, guests change, don't they? So it's what it is. Uh, anyway... Uh, yeah, let's talk about SK, actually, because obviously they've been a surprise team for a lot of people. Of course, they're 3-0. New boys, Isma and uh, Niski um, looking good. And what I would say is I feel like we kind of all said this in our rankings, even though none of us had them particularly high, but that we expected 
a solid team with decent players basically in every position and that Isma probably wouldn't need much embedding and that he was just a good jungler out of the box. And obviously Niski is just doing Niski things. He's just always super reliable and consistent no matter where he is. So yeah, Nymera, what, what do you make of this team? And I guess the, the more interesting question about this team is how much fool's gold are we being presented here? Like, are SK actually legitimately going to go toe-to-toe with, you know, Fnatic or a G2 in playoffs? Like, where where are we really placing this team at the moment? Um, I mean, I think in th the gameplay they showed was good. Uh, I, in particular, I think versus SK, Isma's early game to get the early dive onto Oscar in, that was great, actually. It was a full topside into top, um, topside clear into top dive. I mean, most of the time when you go for that kind of thing, you lose something too much on the other side of the map and you jungle clicks, it was first clear. That worked out really, really well. So there are some moments where I'm thinking, you know what, actually, uh, good on-the-fly thinking, sets up a win condition, and I think that Irrelevant in particular has been the best top laner. Um, yeah, he's best been the best player. top laner in, yeah, in yeah. LEC best for Wigan, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, arguably best player. I think he's been great. Um, I think that they've had somewhat of a similar formula where they've had, you know pressure lanes within an evading jungle um which have worked out very well for them i think that tip i think that x kick and dos have played well through their laning phase on the whole i'm interested to see what happens when that formula is contested where you have more teams which are capable of bullying out top lane um and bot lane at the same time so you don't have two winning sides of the map and then niski as well maybe he'll be contested so i think against top teams or in drafts where people realize that actually let's bow out the lane pressure instead of um maybe some other picks that they're choosing I'd be interested to see how SK does then. I don't, I'm not going to say they're <coughs> going to do awfully. I'm just saying that it feels like they've played to a formula in week one. That's good. You need to make sure you have something beyond that formula. But, I mean, the gameplay I've seen for them has been pr pretty fine. I'll also say that um, in in the game versus Fnatic, um, there was a bit of a warning sign for me where you had an insane lead for Irrelevant on the Jacks versus Oscar Rinnan. Um And I feel like... What happened was Irrelevant built towards a tankier Jax build. So you went Titanic and then you went Chaotic Rookin into, you know, and Frozen Heart and stuff like that. You know, initially he built all magic resist because his lane was so far behind he didn't need to build armor. And what he ended up doing was act as a tank frontline to make sure that Fnatic couldn't play around Callista Blitzcrank running forward in mid lane and kind of shutting down the mid lane play of SK. Problem was that he was using his gold lead to make sure that his mid lane wouldn't collapse, but that allowed Irrelevant to claw back something. Like Oscar a 3,000... Yeah, sorry, yeah. Um, Oscar Renan, he allowed him to um, we, we uh, claw back this. a 3,000 yeah. individual gold deficit into like a 1k or 700. I think that's pretty unacceptable if you go against good teams which will then use the, that kind of freely to run against them. There's but, no um, alternative, though. This is, I, me and my friends discussed this. Like, Well, the alternative we is playing it. better in mid lane so you don't give them options a lot, like that. No, but it's a lottery. Like, if, okay, here, here's your options, okay? You stay in the 1v1 versus Oscar Renan, okay? And you pressure it, right? As you do, okay? And you're, like, winning the matchup, like, as you are, right? And then what happens is, is... You, remember, you can't control this, because you're not there. Your, your TP is not going to arrive in time. Blitz oh, if the hook Blitz... lands, then, then you, you just... Yeah, exactly. So, here's the factor. You can... And you, that is completely out of your control, and you're never going to make it to there on these timings, and you're just going to entirely trust your teammate. Or, you, okay go to mid lane and you start rotating and bouncing between like side lanes. And uh, this is actually my only big criticism of Niski is 
Boss Grennan doesn't actually get as big a uh, If he doesn't take the top lane in a turret after finding mm. the 1v1 in Niski. Yes, that's a big because, point. Because but, Niski walks up to the wave and then Boss Grennan gets behind Nix, yes. uh, Niski, trades his entire health out and then gets the top tier 2. And that in itself is like 675 gold plus the wave. It's like encroaching onto like 1,000 yeah. gold oh, so off just, the lead. Just to be yeah. clear, I don't think this is necessarily an irrelevant problem. I think this is how did Oscar Rinnan manage to get two side lane in a turret when he's 3,000 gold down? How? Like, because of part of it's a Niski mistake, part of it is a wave mistake from Irrelevant not being there to match on the bot side of the map for that one, play for that one. But getting... So, side lane inner turrets give an insane amount of individual gold now because effectively Riot have realized that they've kind of neutered split pushing to the point where it's not really a win condition anymore. Um, but yeah, I think that that's, the one, that's that. the one it's red broken. flag is that... The one, the one red flag is that in mid-game, with a huge individual lay, um, lead on top lane, they couldn't manage to keep Oscar in out of the game, who actually managed to have pretty decent teamfight impact at points too, even from like 0 and 5 or whatever he was. Um, and that's a worry. I don't think that's necessarily unirrelevant. I think Irrelevant was the best individual player. I, I would agree on that front. But that, that's like the one red flag. I think that they're not the complete product yet. But then again, what team in Europe is, so, yeah. Yeah, what, what do you think about SK, Kira? Are they... So can they Best. can they be like a top tier team? Can they be top three? Oh, like like, it's too it's too hard. It's just way too hard to tell because like G two doesn't even look good. But we all give G two like the benefit of the doubt that they'll yeah. like win. Now I think it's pretty disturbing the fact that like G two don't look that good considering yeah. what the expectations are of as oh, a team. Oh, uh, you know the reason for that. G two had three days of scrims before um, LEC started. Ah, there were a couple hate. of teams which I, I hate said... I hate excuses, like... Yeah, what? there's that, I've heard that, so I've heard that two or three teams only had, like, two to three days of, of scrims before LEC came in. Like, on, on, yeah, as full team and shit like that. Like, there's been is a lot like of issues Is that, like, the reason Mickey X and Hansama can't play a few of those lanes? Like, is that really where we're at? Yeah, but there is, there is a re... I'm just saying, there is some additional context to this. It's not like... Oh, yeah, there is, additional, like, yeah. there is additional context. I, I, oh, I, I had your favorite aspect too, though, you're right, yeah. I don't like I just think it's... Put it this way, right? Other teams... For SK Gaming have never played League of Legends as this five-man lineup. Their macro looks the best in the league and the best of any five people in Europe has looked for ages. Their objective control is amazing. Like they're bad in control. I can't remember who it was against. Where they come, they come off the Baron. They leave Renekton in blue side jungle. They push him mid-wave, and then Renekton, because he stays in the jungle area, means that even though the enemy team jumps onto Baron, SK can come off of mid-wave, and because he's held control of it, they're not actually face-checking every bush, and they just walk straight up to the Baron and contest it evenly and push them off of it. It's like the, it's so simple, but it looks like this team, like it looks so practiced, and it's they, that team, even against like uh, Fnatic. You know, Fnatic had better overall, like, side lane management and stuff like that. But they were still, they were using their TPs to overcome, like, side, like, the Fnatic's, like, side lane gold lead. Like, they had the TPs onto, like, Humanoid to assassinate them in side lane. The team looked really, really, um, like, disciplined and, um, like, practiced in terms of, like, their macro. And it isn't, like, really, really complicated stuff. It's very, very, like, simple but reserved, like, League of Legends. And, like, I, I'm actually super impressed. That's why in my tweet I had them as, like, the team of the week. And because it's, like, the League of Legends that I like to watch best. And I think when when you look at them and, like, how you're, like, they're consistently, like, winning the games, I think it looks way more replicable for the standards of players that they have than just, say, like, winning... Like bot lane Dravens as like Hansama Mickey X like every week like the replicability of that is do you get the pick 
do you carry the pack through, you know? So, I don't know. The, the problem is, is you've got to, week to week, everyone's going to be learning from you. Everyone's going to be watching you. Like, <clears throat> it helps that, like, Irrelevant is Oscar's dad for some strange and unknown reason that, like, like Oscar Anna might be the Man. best top laner versus the field but against Irrelevant it just like cannot Oscar had had a really good the other two games were great yeah, yeah it was really really good <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll come to that soon enough but you know Irrelevant has really got his number right now and, and has had for like a good period um, good period of time and like Isma obviously helps out I think his timings were really really good in the game they played I'm just super like impressed with the team oh, Isma is one of my biggest overperformers of week one by the way this dude like I, I expect him to be okay he's been really solid actually I thought like, Doss's like Bard was like obviously everyone was laughing at him for missing the the, the lineup but you know his like Bard yeah. games were like really good he was like my support player of the week along with Exakek I think he was the best overall ADC even though we talk about ADC being like one of the best roles in Europe, the actual standard of someone being good in all three games wasn't actually that great. There wasn't that many people who were good in all the games that they yep. played, or like very, like you know, much of a standout. So I don't know. Like I, I was impressed with them. I thought they played well. Uh, there, I was. I was really happy to see them. Any team that like is like provides this very like controlled measure response because even though people often talk about like G2 in that sense, they actually aren't. The the variance in the in G2's play post winter is bonkers. Like of like what version I mean, of G2 famously G2 are the team that randomly drop games like even when they're dominant. Like this is a team mm. that is known to do that. So yeah. So yeah, that, that and for me it's it's interesting to see a team where like all the games looked very, very like controlled and even uh, so I'm ha I, I don't know I was happy I'm like I prefer more teams to be good and you know <laughs> like I was, I'm happy I'm wrong I was wrong about like SK Gaming's like placement they look a lot better than that chart but again same criticisms it's BO1 League of Legends it's not real it's BO3s that matter you, we have seen is this best of three in the room with us <laughs> no because the thing is we literally watched a Mad Lion come the Mad Lion had statistically the worst possible way to reach playoff right of any mm. team plausible they were in a tiebreaker game from 8th to 9th to get into playoffs and they ended up winning spring yep that's like they fanatic literally went from, fanatic went from out in in winter to you know being contenders in the rest of the year so just a reminder to everyone that i picked that that would happen before they play their tiebreaker game so you know Broken clock and all that. Gotta uh, get that one on the record. Exactly, yeah. Uh, I've not mentioned it enough up to this point, have I? Uh, anyway, so I want to talk... I, two teams I don't want to talk about at all today, really, because I just feel like there's nothing really to say, and I feel like it would just be much better having conversations about them like a week from now or whatever. It's G2, because it's like, okay, well, great. It's G2, yeah. and they didn't scrim much, and, uh, and it's the same pipeline, whatever. Uh, and also giant x for a different reason which is i feel like they're going to be a lot more interesting to talk about like a week from now because we saw like weird spurts and things that we'd heard about like jackie's had some really good moments some really bad slash nervy on stage moments like can we talk about one thing like, caps can we, it's like yeah that's like, caps. Yeah, well, yeah. Can, can we all yeah. yeah yeah i'm, I'm always we... down to talk about caps right. or craps you know me so uh go ahead just, just, let's just have a little uh hanging moment here i want to read the room eulogy or obituary or what are we doing yeah do you think I'm caps down. was good do you think caps was good this week I no. think I think Caps is fucking dog. I don't. I, but no, I don't. I, I think that Caps, like, I believe, 
and have believed for a long time that the Caps that everyone knows and loves is dead. That does not mean, by the way, that he is a bad player or that, in fact, that he's not a really good player because he definitely can be a really good player from, you know, series to series or whatever. But this idea, and this is the thing, I, I hate it. When I say something like Caps is not elite, people think that's like some massive insult. When I use the word elite, I don't just throw it around for fun. Like there was a time where Caps was legitimately, in my mind, a top five mid laner in the world. Not in LEC, not in yeah, the West. He was in a win condition world. legitimately like every game. Yeah, he, he was a truly elite player. He is just not that at the moment. And he is just not the best mid in the West, in the LEC. He's not the second best mid. He might not be the third best mid. He is just a decent mid currently. He's like the fourth or fifth best player yeah. in his team, like almost every game yeah. he plays, outside of like, think. yeah, like what do you call it? But like outside of like, you know, some upward kick games. And for me, like now, and again, I don't want to overreact, but like moving forward, we're now going to have to like consider like what is... What version of G2, what version of League is like G2 going to have to like play like moving forward without the basically the recurrence or the possibility of an elite version of Caps moving into international competition? Because you know the standard is is that they, they should win the leagues, okay? Yeah. And so now, what should G2 be doing <coughs> with the under the pretense that like Caps is not most likely not going to be a win condition? of any sorts going up against the elite international opponents because to me like it looks like it's going to be like a bygone age and it looks like G2 are going to have to make some changes to what they want for what they want to do or like how they want to play what compositions are going to what be wanting to play because for me it looks like those like like caps put as a caps isn't just dominating the field on like a given day, on like a, on a given day, you know, like we watched LCK today. Chovy played against Faker, who just won Worlds. Yeah, Chovy was really sick. Like yeah. he was still Chovy. Like he just yeah. guess what? Chovy played Joan. He annihilated everybody. Chovy played Corky. It was still pretty good. Corky. Chovy played Tristana. Would you have guessed? Holy shit! That he was, was everyone's. Game, he was everyone's dad. That was one you know of the best I mean? Tristana games I've seen for a while. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, there's fun. a standard. There's an ex expectation, right? And that was against what everyone should be the best team in the world, the only team that stayed against. That is the expectation of Chove. Where the fuck are the expectations of Caps? Because we used, like Rich said, he used to be an elite, an elite player. Now, if you want to talk about Caps in terms of an elite player standard, Caps isn't it. He's not been it for ages, and now we have to start having a real conversation about like they should we're gonna have to completely move them and it's like we now hold them to the standards of like Nesky and we hold them to the standards of like well, basically all the other just like human mid laners you know humanoid uh, human that, that I, would, I would honestly like if human you told me there was right, a, a <laughs> tournament like an international tournament tomorrow and we're sending like our best I would rather humanoid be on G2 oh humanoid had a great week yeah, yeah but what I'm fantastic. saying is like, I, know, I know what you're saying I'm just saying because yeah. like, this is the thing a, a few weeks ago months ago whatever people would always ask us or anyone who's ever spoken out and said oh, again yeah. spoken out sounds strong but you know just pointing out the obvious that he's not SSSS plus 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 tier at the moment yeah. and say oh but who would you put in I, if um, it was a free range I would rather have Humanoid as mid for, for G2 I think that would actually improve the team and, and if you want some like solid points to go look at I actually think the Carmine Core game early game is really quite damning on caps yeah. there are plenty of times where G2 in early games from last year Mickey would find a really good engage in bot lane start a fight off something and I think he did that did that again again this week yeah I think there was a time where like he flashed over Emilio Q and got an Nautilus hook started off a fight 
um, did the same on Rail as well. He did that in a couple of games this week. And and Caps is not first on the roam. He's lost the early couple of levels. He's at, so against Larson, for instance, on the Azir game against Rogue, um, gets traded out really, really hard level one. Yes, I know that it was a pretty um, back and forth trade, but like Caps really didn't do well versus Larson in terms of trying to get his pick attempts. It felt like he was losing the mental game in terms of how you're timing your skill shots, how you find your angles. But against Carmine Core in the early game, you know, yes, G2 end up getting a win through bot side in like a, you know, Yike manages to get into bot lane and stuff like that. But Saken and Bo are there first. They're there first. Caps is not first on the roam. He's missing up uh, a lot of his big engages. When you look at Rogue as well, he doesn't make the clutch play at the Nexus. It's a yeah. flash for flash in terms of onto the AD carry. Oh, yeah, He's not really rough. landing the knockout blows. Mm. And I think, don't get me wrong, I think there are some valid reasons for why these don't work out. But the thing is, in previous years, those valid re reasons would be thrown to the wind because he'd make the play anyway, because he was just a level above in terms of reading the game. There are some moments where you can see the skill set of Caps still being on show. I think that late game versus Rogue, when you had the six um, Void Grubs being able to give you a load of tower damage, there were some smoke and mirrors where actually he ended up getting some moments where there were some interesting macro plays. And we've seen that through his career ever since like 2019 and whatever. Like he'd find an interesting play to make on the map. But then again in the late game, actually, he looked <coughs> for that late game teleport as well onto the back line and it didn't work as well. There are a lot of moments where typical, you know, Caps from his early era would have made those game-changing plays. He's just not making that right now. And he wasn't really making them last year either, actually, on the whole. Also, he, just, he did something really weird in that road game, like just before the Nexus defense, where he was like, just not backing. Like, I don't know why. I don't know why. He was looking for like a weird angle. But there the was base, just, but... it was never on. And he yeah. wasted like oh. 15 seconds and they lost both Nexus Towers. Yeah. It was but really I think, weird. But I think on the whole, G2's roam timings have been bad from mid. I think that they've been very snatch and grab with plays. And the vision control has been pretty awful too. So like there's there's obviously some fundamentals which need to be worked on. I'm sure they will look better than this, folks. They're still G2. But I mean, I don't think it's going to be through Cap's monster playmaking. Like this yeah. guy is probably the person with the biggest question mark on him on the side of G2. Yeah. Right, let's talk about a couple of teams via a matchup uh, because the first game of uh, this coming week is Vitality versus Rogue. Uh, Vitality, obviously, 0-3. Rogue should be 0-3, but G2 don't want to play League of Legends yet. So, you know, uh, I think to quote Kira, this one's probably got a touch of the diarrhea versus constipation about it. But uh, yeah, Kira, what, give me your thoughts on... Uh, these two teams i mean we all by the way for context we all had vitality fourth i believe i think we had them fourth yeah, on all of our tier list um so that's we're gonna miss from week one yeah, yeah that that one's maybe not gonna age too well who knows maybe it will but yeah what what stands out for me with these teams is that first of all all the things that i kind of knew were true about vto but semi hoped weren't true just seemed to be true and exacerbated if anything he cannot lane and then more worryingly like these little moments where he finds these pockets in like the mid game or whatever to like find uh, a, a big play he's just whiffing like his button pressing this week was really bad like actually just really bad he did not look like an lec mid laner uh, this past week. So that's very disturbing for me. Photon, I think, was a bright light. As I said, to me, I was kind of baffled by how people were sort of placing Photon as, as a player where it's like, this is the Photon meta, by the way. Like, this guy is going to shine and he is going to shit on people. It's the only reason the why they don't have the worst solo laners on average is yeah. because Photon is fucking great, man. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, you know, 
uh, Hillisang, who may as well just be a canary down a coal mine with his engages that he's looking for these days. Uh, yeah, le less least said about that, the better. Also, I find it really weird. Like, to me, this is, again, lazy team building in the sense that it's like, oh, well, Mad at slash Koi are doing this thing where they're just getting rid of everyone. Uh, let's take both members of the bot lane. It's like, why? Just why? Like, no, let's take Kazi because he's fucking awesome. Uh, Hillisang, eh, not really so sure about that. And year on year, because it was always the thing, of course, of Hillisang that he's Jekyll and Hyde, but, you know, most of the time it lands heads. The last, you can basically go split on split, and it's been landing on heads less and less, basically, every split. He wasn't disastrous every split last year, by the way, but he was still trending in a not particularly great direction. So I thought it was an odd pickup. So before we get into gameplay stuff about that then, because obviously two of the big people missing from LEC lineups are, well, I mean, obviously they're both on the broadcast now, Finn and Trimby. Is this a team where you would put Trimby in because he's yes. a free agent into this yes. team? Yes. Even though I don't, no. I, I, I don't care. I, I, well, you've got information about like Trimby and his tendencies. Like As a bad. player, yes, we can all agree Trimby is way better well, at that's... this moment in time than Hillisang. Like, I'm never going to dispute that. But I, I, to me, as I said, like the, something that's just wrong with Western League in general is that people too often discard or think they don't care about like the other aspects of the game and the environment and so on. So for me, I would never sign Trimby because I think he is a team obliterator. But if you want to talk about one game for my life and he has to, you know, in terms of a quality player, of course, absolutely. But... He made Fnatic better as the thing. You could talk about him being a team obliterator, but at the end, of the end point is he made, like, Fnatic a, like, a much better, like, team. Yeah, no one is any... playing him. I know, but, I, I, mate, here's the problem with, like, e like eSports players, is I've seen them, like, kick people <laughs> who were, like, saving them, like saving the team and making it great for, like, people in their head that were, like, better, and they went from being, like, first to, like, nothing in the world. But, and they done it all under the thing of they didn't want to play that guy. And then you'll see them on Thorn Reflection shows year later, and they'll be like, yeah, we kind of regretted that one. It wasn't, like, a good idea. Like, we, sure. given things like... The thing is, uh, I would say this. Moment, guess, but so. First of all, first of all, no offense, because I think his tweets this uh, split so far have been a banger. But Advian was awful, so they had like a massive like quality player upgrade immediately. But Fnatic was not a good team at any point after picking up Trimby. They were doing better. It was an upgrade. No, they were they were the best team in summer reg. They went like eight and two or something. But they nine they, and one. they never to me they never looked like a good team. They looked like in fact, well, is that, even, just, is that even true though? Is that even true? Okay, well, eight? I think I think we I actually agreed on the t on, on the tier list um, thing we did before this, like a week ago or whatever. We basically said it was Razork who was fanatic, and it's like Razork yeah. is the reason they're good. Don't get me wrong, but I think that Trumbin helped Razork because for sure. No, yeah. I agree with that. So, but I, I just thought that was an intriguing question because if Hilly is going to have a bad <clears throat> entire three weeks, or how long does it have to be? Of course, he's with a coaching staff he knows very well, and you're with a rookie jungler, Douglas, who. I think there are some questions there too, as there were going to be, because he's a rookie jungler. Junglers are very hard to roll to step up. He in. had a couple of um, rough games. Yeah, he had a fantastic early game versus uh, on the the where he was playing the Javan versus the Shinzo. I which game was that? That was versus Shao. So it was versus BDS. We guess first blood on Shao in jungle, and there were some other moments where you know he's had good early games, but not been able to transition that later. That's a problem because when you're playing around mid game and like the end of early game a lot of your um, roams are going to be jungle support and if your jungle is not necessarily adding to that equation hillisang is going to look worse by proxy on that front 
But basically, I'm, I'm just wondering, because Hillisang looked so visibly poor, and a lot of the, the engagers... And I, I get there's a Hillisang factor where he's just looking for the 1% chance that'll get you no, back I think he's dog shit. I, I think that he just made bad calls this week. Yeah, I think um, they're all... I think and basically, at shit. that point, what change do you make at that point? There are some problems with, obviously, contractual stuff in terms of, like, when can you make changes to your players? Because, you know, how are your contracts signed in terms of... Is it split on split? Is it half a year? Is it a full year or whatever? In terms of like certain clauses within it, um, and and what, at what point do the sirens go off long enough that Vitality need to make a huge change? Because we had them put us fourth. Vitality put an awful lot of money into league. They've got um, a lot of players that we value quite highly as well in regards to Photon and Kazi especially, and you know Vito as well has had his great moments as well. You know, at what point do you make changes? And what changes would that be? Because yeah, this, this week this was is, not it. Folks. Yeah, that's the problem with like how structurally, like realistically, it will not be this split because what's yeah. the most you can't. contractually it's very hard. Yeah, there's three weeks of regular season play only, and then they're going to be out most likely. So yeah, it'll probably be. But Spring. Vital Vitality was like a, a, a bunch of like different factors. First of all, they played a pretty complicated slash difficult to play comp with Lucian and Veraf, who both want to play for midsection, right? Oh yeah. And then oh, they cost. both want to be midsection. Right. Yes, yeah. Okay, yeah. so they both they will both want to play for midsection. Now only one of them can be in there because they're both carried, and then they need like a support to like escort them around in, in their wheelchair, right? And the thing is, then Lucian goes into side, pushes lane, dies. But that could just be exactly that could be Zeraf in the exact same situation, okay? But like Lucian's slightly more mobile, so like it's probably the better two. And Zeraf is consistently more long range. So in the face of that comp, however, you have to have like very crisp side lane management and very good like jungle quadrant control for vision, right? That is a massive burden to put on. First of all, mid section set of like new people. Second of all, it's a mass. It's a, the jungler and a, a Daglas, right? Massive burden to put on Daglas. Other thing is, I never even thought uh, Hellasang was ever good at any of that stuff, right? So why would you even bother, like, even trying to have him that do it? That draft was yeah, right. absolute hellscape. Se VTO and Zerath, what yeah. are we doing? Se second of all, right, and this is where it gets really, really complicated. The best player on the team. Right now, I know not playing, but best player on the team is technically Karzai. Right, Photon's a great player, but in terms of like actually probably winning the, winning the game, you need to find a way to enable Karzai. Yeah. Now, Hellasang, but yeah, yeah but Hellasang isn't just like hamstringing the team; he's hamstringing your best chance to win the game because Karzai cannot leave lane without it being a disaster zone. The Callista game was a nightmare to watch; like I couldn't believe it. It was like veteran had this amazing stream segment. A couple of m months ago, I remember it really, really well. Where he sat on stream and he said, like everyone was watching, he was like, "Give me a time period, or like give me a game, or give me a moment where it was Karzai that lost the lane." And he was on stream for about an hour. It must have been right. I, I, you, the vod will still be up. And basically, every single one of them, genuinely, and he's not misconstruing facts here. They were all Hellasang. Mm -hmm. Almost That's every single. Good. Every single bad thing that you associate, what it is, is it's Karzai realizing. If Hellasang goes in here solo, he's just going to die. And so I'm going to attempt to play it out with Heli. Now, that is its own, like, you shouldn't do that. But at the end of the day, there is, like, a chance it might work. But, like, not really. And some of them are just straight up suicides. This is Hellasang at his worst. And it is terrible. Like, he is dog shit right now. Like, can't be in the league levels bad. Now, will he be like that next week? Who knows, like... He's a fucking the, the Targaryen boy. Like you flip the coin, you know what I mean. But <coughs> that is this is the issue because if he is right, okay, 
going to be like that next week. You, this team is doomed to failure because that is basically the entire oh, yeah. this entire winter season over, yeah, over. and you, it was entirely predicated on one person being like so like terrible. Yeah, and I have now, to say, the more I think about it now, when we go back to like you know we all rated them fourth, like there are a lot of warning signs there which I chose to overlook because I thought Kazi would this be bad. Sold. But Wait, even he, then, wasn't, like, he wasn't this bad yeah. and mad. There was other factors losing mad games. Other than, yes, like, no, say, but, um, no, but that, outside of that too, because I think effectively you're seeing the failing point there, but it's also lining up with other failing points in the team. I think Douglas has had some really good early opportunistic yep. kills, but outside yes. of that, he's looked lost. VTO yep. never leaves lane, and that is a huge, huge issue in this meta, yeah. which we I did highlight that, but I thought, well, okay, with the coaching staff, um, with the coaching staff like being able to build teams pretty well, I, I guess this is a short. What happens if you were to meet Helly and Rubber? Yeah. I wouldn't leave leave lane yeah. if there was but a then, chance of picking up with Helly. Yeah. But then effectively you got this point where like you have Photon who's playing for lane, that's probably a good thing, and most of the time you're not looking to like have top lane in early game rotations anyway, at least not with his champion pool. He's not gonna be doing like an Adam where he's roaming to mid with a Garen or whatever. Um, to do whatever. But yeah, I think that this team looks really quite directionless right now outside of some opportunistic oh. early game plans. Headless um, and that's what that, that being said, I will say there was that one game where they managed to bring it to late game, which was a moment... Yeah, versus Giant X, game one, where actually they managed to get out of a bit of an awkward situation into... Like, they brought it to late game, which I thought was okay, actually. Again, this team is not without complete hope. Um, but I just... I don't get... How they're going to survive through to mid game where you have quite a dysfunctional team right now. There's a lot to work on. And while I do trust Mac and Pad as, as a coaching staff and Carter as well, I mean, Carter's there from the previous org, which I I don't I don't know exactly well, what happened there with the previous Vitality teams, but Mac and Pad, you know, they have a good reputation. I don't see where you even begin to address this issue. Who is the in game leader? You don't have someone who is like very headstrong leading the team from an important role. Um, yeah, I this, this team fix. has a lot of siren. Okay, what, what have you got to fix? I this have got, to I, fix. I'm going to like light up the pipe. There we go. Like, what's, See, you what guys, have you got? You're not thinking outside the box. This is the fix. The fix is you tank Vitality and you give Kazi to BDS. Obviously, right. that doesn't help Vitality at all. Yeah, there, but that would be cool. That would be cool. No, but here's the thing. The realistic answer to this, and I'm not even memeing here, is, and you're talking about being team cancer, but I don't know if so I don't care. I'm just going on how he is in game. Trimby actually fixes a lot of these issues because if VTO isn't going to move from lane, Trimby will move to mid lane. And he's like a good enough laner. Like we've seen it with Noah. He's not like amazing, right? But he's like good enough. That's and the right. point is, is like you've got to, with Karzi, you just have to be like good enough. Like you just have to be like. He's definitely good enough to lane. Like, yeah, exactly. And sure. so he, he can execute like Callista kill lanes. He executed them with Noah. I'm pretty sure he can execute them with Karzi, you know? Like the, the issue is, is Heli is so bad, right? That like when you draft well, win conditions, right? They basically nullify before you've even entered the the, the server, and that is that's like a huge like. Our team's really going to be scared of Callista plus X if like Halley's just going to like run it down. Like that is, you know what I mean? If someone if a team could just start handing that to you in Prio, like that's like really scary, and it starts getting worse and worse for other places. I, I don't know really what this team's like supposed supposed to do. It's going to be like a hard time in terms of like the coaching staff. Feel sorry for Photon because he's getting the top lane experience. If you yeah. win, not, you lose the game. If you lose, you lose the game. Classic. But yeah, let, let's talk Classic. about this team in, in relation to Koi then, because obviously they're playing Koi. As I said, this, this is one of two games which I think is quite interesting because these will be 
this is going to be a crossroads week because of how few games get played during the regular season. So, Nymera, is there any... Like, people will point to the G2 game and be like, oh, but they beat G2. To me... Oh, you mean Rogue instead of... Uh, Roy, oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry, so I was Roy. like, hang on, we have yeah, yeah, two coys yeah. we can refer no, to now. Yeah, but yeah, yes. Yeah. Sorry. Um, to me, I still don't actually think they looked particularly great in that game. I thought G2 were awful. I think that they played out some... Uh, Early game stuff, like, not too bad. I think they were very competitive um, up to a certain point. But I think a better yeah. team or G2 in a better vein of form would have punished the fuck Can, out of them. It, it, I think it's quite as simple. It, it genuinely might just come down to what version of Larson shows up. Because, oh my days, game one from Rogue, Larson. He's yeah. solo Larson one, in the game. Well, yeah, it's the, like the one worst the I've ever seen Larson besides yeah, the was. freaking Shiv, the Shiv, the oh Shiv, the Shiv Everfrost RE game or whatever it was. No, no, he, he played. Like, to, he walked back to get into the XP of it dying so that he wouldn't be down it um, on the wave, I'm pretty sure. Really? I thought yeah, he, I thought he went to actually he did, hit yeah, it. Yeah, but he he in in game one he like he he greeted a yeah. lot of situations. Game. But then you go but then you go to the game versus G two and you, arguably <laughs> the reason that they win is because Larson escapes like a couple of three man plays yeah. without even blowing anything that meaningful. There is a there's a really important phase of play where um, Rogue have Herald, so it's I don't know like 15, 16 minutes something like that in that kind of time zone. Um, Larson is topside, and G two realized okay right. We're in a bit of a sticky situation here, but if we kill Larson, we have six grubs and we can look for a top lane inhibitor tower. That's a really good win. Um, they send both side lanes and jungle up towards top side. Larson gets out, blows a flash, but that's it. Doesn't even lose any HP. Yeah. So G2 then overextended on top side. They have no threat onto the top tower because Larson's still alive with good HP. They use the Herald in mid lane, so they get top uh, mid lane out of turret for free. And then also Sagenda gets um, bot lane in, um, in a turret as well. So it's a two tower trade with them investing so many things into top side. And that's basically because Larson absorbed a huge amount of pressure. He also did that earlier in the game when he was ganked in mid lane multiple times. He outplayed Yike on the Trundle. I get that Trundle doesn't have that much threat onto his ear because you have to go melee and just ults you away. But mm. Larson outplayed massively in game three while he kind of solo lost in the game in game yeah, one. Yeah. So if he turns up and plays well, yeah, I think Rogue are a threat. Um, I think that uh, they should probably be favored by Vitality as long as, you know, Larson's not giving over huge early game leads to someone like Daglas who might actually even then be able to use that advantage at that point. I think Rogue probably come in with the advantage, but just because Vitality looks so disorganized. Markun doesn't look that good. Comp, by the way, I, I'm sorry, Comp, forever doubting you. Oh, yeah, actually, has, week. <laughs> mean nothing. Comp is God. Greek, the Greek God has returned. Yep. Zeus sends his lightning bolts to my eyes. Uh, <laughs> congratulations, Comp. You survived week one of LEC. You are redeemed. Um, <laughs> Larson... And not so funny, Larson ended game one. It's probably one of the worst games I've ever seen of Lar yeah. Larson. His yeah. floor is usually insane. And then you go look at the rest of the game, he's, he's still like a statistical, like on, like a, on paper, like monstrosity, by the way. Like, it's actually absurd. Like, yeah. just like what he, like, like game even... three, he just like basically 1v9 G2, by the way. Yeah, like, it's against us, like, I've not actually watched it. I don't think the camera was up there that much. So I was wondering what the fuck was going on in Jagenda's lens, by the way. Like, those. Those were terrible. No, those he's, were, those... look, he's looking like... Shook. <laughs> well, he, he's looking like season eight shook. Uh, yeah, he's, not bad. He's looking, he's looking rough. And this is the thing, like, the, my problem with Segenda is he was never the prince that was promised. It's like his whole thing is meant to be he's a Westerner who actually values, like, the lane and Top playing lane bruises and, and yeah. like, pushing. And it's like, 
he doesn't even do that. He doesn't do it on his picks and he doesn't play his picks half the time. And then outside of that, he's like, he's like Alfari, but with none of the top lane laning ability that Alfari has. But he has had that reputation. It's like, and then outside of lane, it's a disaster. So yeah, I, I, the reason why I'd actually pick Vitality in this matchup is mainly because I think top is going to be revolting. And I think Markun is a very stubborn jungler who's got, who has the mindset of like, I'm going to do what I think is the most optimal pixel perfect pathing because he's a jungler who does care a lot about his early pathing and he's not going to play the human. He's going to play the rift in that sense. So I don't think he's, he's... going to be like, I need to go top and cover Sagenda. He's going to be like, fuck Sagenda. I'm going to do whatever is most like pixel perfect textbook optimal and that's going to result in Photon shoving Sagenda's shit down his throat. But Markin was so good at trading sides on XL and then he was very good at working around like irrelevant like laning uh, deficits that he had in certain matchups, right? And then there's none of those qualities I've like really transferred over to Rogue. He, he to me, looks like the most, not headless, but like directionless, we'll say. You know what I mean? Where like, you know, like a lot of jungling is... You, that is like the temple um, role, you know, like you're clearing camps, you're he's on still a certain doing the camp efficiency thing though. Like if you watch how he paths, he's still doing it for like XP efficiency. I think he's just not very But it's like the top lane right play now. lands and like he's like walking into river rather than prepping for like a bot trade. Exactly. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. And so like he, he's like disjointed by like a couple of like seconds or like in terms of like has his laner gave him the right information? Was his laner predict expecting like the top play? Um, the Zolis, like uh, Zolis, Zolis, uh, yeah, Zolis, whatever his name is. I'll never learn to pronounce half the names. Um, so like he looked like decent hands. Uh, laning wasn't always like the best, <laughs> but like it was nothing it's to good like. This is G two on the whole. Actually, he had some like the thing which stuck out to me is that he's very good at kind of like. Sitting back and then taking opportunities when they present themselves. On that well, you can actually like... sit in the nest egg, unlike Hillisai, where you can like yeah. just sit and it's what I call the slow roll, where you just let people attempting to make the play overextend their abilities and not combo and them properly, them. Yeah, yeah. and then you punish um, them. Like Zola so... understands the uh, the slow the slow roll already, where like he has like the Rakan um back the like, dive um onto was it Neske? No, it wasn't this game. I can't remember, but... He had it, a really good, um, like, punish onto Mickey a couple of times. Too, yeah, like, it wasn't like Mickey, though. It was like and a like, He, he forced some flashes out of hands and Mickey when they went too far as well. Like, I was thinking, yeah, you know what? A lot of sports wouldn't do that in EU. It's fine. Do I think he was excellent? Yeah, he still no, got some stuff to learn, but it he's, was he's against, actually been pretty good, actually. It was against Neske. Zola, right. Zola almost saves the, he, the rogue versus SK gaming game where Niski's on Azir because he dives into the backline and if they CC chain Niski and insta-kill him, Niski then doesn't do the shuffle that kills yeah. Larson and blows comp and they are not that far away, by the way, from insta-killing Niski. He almost, like, saves the game there and it was, like, an amazing um, play to see a rookie, like, make. And speaking so of the rookie side of that too, two really fun facts about Zerlius as well, which I heard. Um, this is his first time outside of france since he was eight by the way like he's he hasn't left france since he was eight and he went on his first what flight to get to the lec as well like this dude is is like he's what really kind of patriot. like yeah so this dude is um you know he's doing a lot of like personal growth is that a bonapartist like as well by any chance 
No, but I, I just thought that was like an extra bit of context for some folks in regards to like where he is on like a, I guess on a personal level, I suppose, from from everything I've heard. Like he's really out his comfort zone. This is he's like first new. He's very green. Yeah. yeah, he's green. So he's he's doing a lot of life stuff too. But yeah, yeah there's a couple of things there. You know, I think actually for a debut in LEC, actually all right. Yeah, yeah. did fine. There we go. So yeah, so let me get quick predicts on this one, guys. Vitality Koi. I'm going Vitality. Rogue. Okay, right. Rogue. I'm fucking yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna I, I can't believe I'm saying it. I'm actually saying rogue here, but like my god, if yeah, if there's a rogue. if there's a team to just randomly get better just because of the quality of the players on the team, it will pro would probably be Vit. But my god, if Hillisang sucked all the life out of this team from man, which I cannot, I do not predict what has not happened, and so I must say rogue. You know, by the way, what I love about uh, Hillisang is he, bearing in mind he's been doing a version of this, right, with obviously very differing results for years and years and years. He is completely fucking stoic, like, on set. Like, you can't, like, he'll, in, he'll die for the fifth time. And he's just, it's just a fucking Wednesday at Tesco's Isle 3. Like, it doesn't make any difference to this guy at all. I love that. I think that is so cool. Even though, obviously, right, at this point, the, the, the fucking alarm bells should be ringing <laughs> in your head, buddy. Just just saying. But I do admire it on some level. But yeah, Nightmare, uh, who, who have you got winning this one? I think uh, Rogue, as long, as long as Larson is, like, not game one Larson. Um... You know what? I don't even. Yeah. That, was him, it's, it's, that was him recovering from his hangover. I heard actually. That's my intelligence. You know? no... He'd been out. He'd been out in the sauce all week. And like, like, got up our lines. Oh, <laughs> like, came in absolutely wrecked Whoa. from work. His lap. It's not humanoid. <laughs> Whoa, shit. Cut that from the tape. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So. <laughs> what is uh, I think, I think it's, I think it's rogue. I think that like. Bot lane has been solid. Um, I think Larson, if he plays like he does in game two, and particularly game three, I think that he'll be more valuable than VTO, who I think had a pretty poor week one. Even with the Xerath game, I'm like, it was whatever. Um, and yeah, I think I think that Vitality have a lot of problems to, to fix, like a lot of fundamental issues. Yeah, they do. Apart from anything else, just because the name's confusing, because there's, for some reason, a Koi on a different team now, whatever. They're no longer called Koi. They're no longer called Rogue. It's just Team Larson, because that's the only player worth talking about on this team anyway, really. So I'm going to say that Vitality beat Team Larson. And uh, there we go. Let's move on to the last topic we're going to talk about today, which is two teams we haven't really... Well, I guess we touched on Fnatic a little bit. But Fnatic play BDS in what I think is a pretty pretty interesting... Yeah, that should be fun, uh, actually. I think that'd be pretty Pretty fun. interesting yeah. game. I think that BDS... I love BDS. I think they're so much fun to watch. I think they have so much upside and also clear weaknesses in their team that it's just fun. I do think that Ice is a less... And we sort of spoke about this before and kind of semi-predicted it, I guess. But he is more solid than Crown. He seems like a more reliable um, stat stick, again, if you like, than someone like Crown who would have maybe higher peaks and uh, lower troughs. But no, I think this team... Uh, Actually looked pretty good in week one. I actually thought they looked pretty good. I thought Labrov was really good for the most part. Um, I think Nuke is very underrated. Um, again, that doesn't mean I think Best he's amazing. Across the week I don't mean he's amazing or whatever, but I think he's good. Like I think he's legitimately good, and he's not like bottom two, bottom three LEC. Like he's a proper LEC mid laner, and I think he's underrated. Um, I think Shio had some shaky moments, uh, but also okay. Some the Graves game was woeful. Like, has the platform that she was put on, right, by his team that he manages to, like, flunder, no one else <laughs> would find acceptable. Wasn't great. Um, but I, I also think he... What game... Oh, what game was it? He had good moments, but, like, it's he... how... 
he has he, he gains this advantage, then fucks it up, and then it has to all be like worked back up again. It's like it's it's impressive mm. the the way the ways he finds to lose. And I did appreciate Adam's Garen, even though Garen had supposedly been like nerfed into the ground, and he's like, yeah, his it. items have changed an awful lot. Yeah, um, yeah, but he, he's still good. The the thing is, is he picked it in the correct place because he picked it into Cassante, correct? Where yeah. it is still just like the hell matchup for Cassante, where it's like terrorists are yes. in my lane. Oh, this is the by the way, this is the other reason why I didn't want to talk about Giant X this week because their drafting is fucking criminal. And this, oh, I'll this say th on the whole, LEC's drafting, I found it so boring and bland this week. Mm. There's so much shit that people could have been trying, and they went for just tried and tested comfort, which yeah. is very 2023. This is great. So this is what I refer to as like. A green room syndrome which is like they've been playing all this stuff in scrims and then they come in like the first team to go on stage let's just say week one game one they'll play like the most conventional version of what's been played in scrims and then the team in green room will see the team that wins and they're like okay i want to play this stuff because we yeah. also played that and this looks safe to play and then it just like snowballs for a little bit until someone decides to like have some balls. Luckily, you can always rely can you on Can explain Lucian to me then? Because uh... every time it's on stage, it's a dog, and then people keep on picking oh, it. I keep on going. Because like... well, yeah, the, 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 it's a the lot same of people... thing every week. And also, I don't, e I don't even think that the Lucian's being itemized correctly too. By the way, we're oh, seeing a lot of like Stormraiser, and Navori, which is like it's not really the same kind of like one-two item power spike that you get with like the Voltaic Cycle Sword and shit like that. Like so, there's. There's some stuff on the efficiency side of it, and the itemiz but the itemization is secondary to the play in this case, where I feel like Lucian Nami, and I think it's a great point which Kira brought up earlier as well, like for instance in the Vitality game where you had the Xerath and Lucian Nami, both of them want to be sat mid lane on one item, just poking out whoever comes into their lane, and with the Lucian Nami running forward and just slaughtering someone. Um, I feel like a lot of teams are not equipped to really utilize those kind of picks, and yeah, I think Giant X probably on that list too, but I suppose like when you look at um. The side of BDS, I think, yeah, we all rated them as kind of like solid team before this split. I think I had some real issues with the G2 game, but then again, that was first game of the split where they had early advantage, mid-game vision control, throw it in terms of macro because they're really bad at choosing fights around sidelines. And that's somehow weirdly, regardless of coaching staff or roster, been a hallmark of early season BDS in multiple years now. We've seen that with, you know, the, the grabs, Syncroft, Matty roster. We've seen that with the more recent roster too. Getting a little bit worried about where this kind of lack of understanding of how to play around sideline fights in mid game has come from. Because um, we've seen them do it better later into years, but I just don't get why it keeps degrading back to this point. Um, it's happened in multiple games, you know, in multiple different seasons early on. Yeah. Now let's talk a little bit about the bot lane matchup because obviously the new player on Fnatic is Jun. What have we made of Jun thus far? It, really good Blitzcrank game. Good hands. Like, I made a really good Blitzcrank game. And also, the read on Blitzcrank to um, go top lane to stop, uh, to attempt to stop Irrelevant dying. So, oh, like, the 2v2, that disaster 2v2, which yeah, but, like, gets the, out like 1 HP. The yeah. thing is, is like, oh, what really should happen there is you stop Irrelevant from dying, and then uh, Razork runs bottom as quickly as he possibly can, and then covers thing, and you basically... you hold guard rather than looking for the winning play because just by nullifying the, those plays you are actually technically winning right but obviously they look for a little bit of greed and it gets traded out poorly and then because Razork commits to the top side fully they then dive to the bot side so you know like I don't think it looks anywhere near as bad um 
No, I don't think he looks bad, basically bad at all. I actually think he looks like quite team coherent. Um, interestingly, uh, he seems to like pair up pretty well with Noah. Noah is still just very, very careful, but almost somewhat frustratingly so. ADC, I did, I did appreciate him like flashing forward for the rend, even though it was like miscalculated oh, by like a one. fair amount. Yeah. But like, I don't really expect anything else from Noah at this point. He is, he is. Fnatic are just going to have to play with him as is. You know, the star for me still on, for me on this team is the top side. Razork, Humanoid, Oscar. Yeah. Could, this is a team that really, and it looks, I don't know if they've done it consciously, but they're like sidelining and they're sideline management and their player and their solo liners is so much better. The Humanoid oh, we, team. I mean, we talked about this in regards to SK when we're like, well, you know, how did SK let Oscar Rinnan back into the game? Well, part of it is just Oscar Rinnan letting himself back into the game because he understands sideways. Yeah, and like Humanoids TP top by finishing the the Nashers um first, and then he just gets the full amount of gold top, and it literally yeah. ends the game there because he has such a gold lead that Team Vitality can't really play into it. Um, June has got a little bit of a like a not reading problem. Uh, like he lets Oscarin and die in mid section when he's tanking the Lucian ult. He has Shirelias but doesn't use it and lets Oscarin mm. and just like eat the entire Lucian ult. Rather than popping the shells, and then he pops it late, and Oscar dies, and it has this entire like chain effect of like Fnatic then having to play a Baron situation that they don't want. So that was like my biggest criticism of like mm. June was like for him to forgetting to press some like buttons or maybe not understanding like damage projection, if you know what I mean. Um, I think it's for someone like June, it's way too early to like say. I, I need to see some level of consistency like week to week to week, um, of who he's going to be, but. Better than what I expected. And how do, how do you see this matchup then? Based on what you've seen, who would you favour? Well, well, I favour mm. Fnatic, generally. Um, they have, like, good... Their soul learners have a good matchup. Uh, Razork has a good matchup into Shield. One concern thing I have is BDS, uh, uh, even though don't give ICE a very good platform to play the game on, they were starting fights a lot before ICE was even remotely there to oh, yeah. even start get there. And again, the same with Bo. I actually put that a lot down to like the language barriers. It's like it's hard to say is Ice not moving at the correct time or is the play happening under Ice. And then another one is that like, BDS have like a really really poor understanding of like midsection unless Adams like actually there. Like when he was there on like the Scion, it was they aggressive. It's really poorly. Yeah, really but, but poorly. when Adam was there with the with the Scion, it was like three six nine esque, where it was really aggressive. You're using the Scion to create space to siege, and I was really happy to see it. Then you have stuff like the Shield game, where he has like Nocturne, and he's never using it to pop cooldowns. Like, for example, you can use Nocturne out to turn make a side lane go dark. So the the minute your solo laner reaches the turret, you can press Nocturne out with no intention of actually clicking on anyone because nobody knows whether or not you're in range or not. And you're just, it's actually the paranoia of like, oh, who's yeah. it going to go on? And all you're doing is letting the soul your uh, solo laner hit the turret for free because the enemy team can't see them and then back off and you basically greed a bunch of health on the turret. And then you do that every rotation, you know what I mean? And you, you basically cycle it yeah. until like you, the turret's <coughs> killed. But like Shield didn't even know to do that, and then he also mm. wasn't doing it on mid. So what was he saving it for? By the way, so that was a, your comment yeah. on the icing reminded me of what is like the weirdest team fight of the weekend, which I don't remember. I'm pretty sure this was the K Corp Mad game where it was around. It was either Baron or maybe it was Herald that was up or whatever. Where, and this is what I mean. Like 
to me. Was this the dragon at... one? Yeah. Actually, that was a weird one. No, it wasn't. At, it wasn't at Drake. This is the one where Targamas starts playing like super aggro, and if you watch the mini map, upsets just like walking back and forth from mid a little bit up river and then back and up and i'm like what is happening here and this is yeah. like one of those things where if you put all the rosters on paper like before any buttons have been pressed during the season say who is going to be like the worst coordinated team and i just look at all the names I'm like well k-corp obviously they've got a fucking uh, chinese jungler who barely speaks any english they've got um targamas who's a mute playing with upset which is going to be like a really weird dynamic like this is just that fight is mental and that basically loses them the game that fight so go uh, uh, anyone who didn't see it or maybe did see it go back watch that fight look at the minimap and what the fuck is happening with like uh, it was i i couldn't even tell you because there was no wave either so it wasn't like he was like mm, maybe i'll stay and hit the mid wave and keep it put it was so strange um but yeah so nightmare who do you favor in this matchup then based on what you've seen who has been the more impressive team for you thus far I think Fnatic's team fighting is far better than BDS's. I think Oscar Rinnan's team fighting has been exceptional. It's the best this in the league. He's Oscar the best team fighting. In the league. Like if league. you if you watch how they play against Carmine Core, Oscar Rinnan, oh, <coughs> gold medal for that Cassante performance. His Cassante has looked incredible. Now I think Adam might give him some problems in laning phase, but I think what's likely going to happen is BDS are going to have some fun early game moves, where they're going to get mashed in team fights. From what I see right now, I think it's probably Fnatic. Best of one, which it happens. I don't know whether we're going to be on the hotfix patch or not, so maybe that'll get some different meta read stuff in. But as it stands, I think Fnatic, BDS are not going to be able to transfer early game gold leads into like game breaking I'll, advantages. I'll so. give them one thing though. Fnatic are terrible now without Trimby at like overloading numbers into mid. And what I mean by that is oh, the way yeah. that BDS beat Rogue last year or Koi last year is Larson was hammering nuclear in. And then what Nuclear Imp what done is he brought Shio and Labrov to his lane and they just chain fed off of Larson. And Larson's disjointed parts, like Malrang, were just letting them die, right? Fnatic's responses to people bringing multiple members to mid lane without the version without Trimby was atrocious. It was terrible. Yeah, they were saved by the fact that Humanoid was just doing well. Yeah, but like the thing is, it's like BDS could just overload and just let mm. fuck ice and like just let the like that's how they could end up. You know what I mean? Like have a party in the middle and just yeah. bring the boys and just see like yeah, if we like literally just plant three people in your lane, like what what do you do? Mm. Because I know we're now moving out of the regions here. That was literally Genji's response to seeing the Azir as. They just literally kept on bringing people mid lane yeah. until the young got through mid lane, and then that was it. And it was like, uh, Lehens was just having a party in mid lane, just like checking Faker and saying, like, Yeah, you can't walk up and harass because if you do, I'm going to dash on you on like every wave. So it was really, really interesting to see. And I wonder if you know BDS is going to have the coherency to like pick that up. You know, Adam could have a wild card, he has that type of player, but generally speaking, Fnatic, for me, to, for Fnatic to kind of prove themselves, and I want to see them week to week, you know, be this like team, they've got to beat BDS, and you should beat them quite convincingly, it should be, if it dissolves into like madness, then I'd be like a bit disappointed. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna go Fnatic as well, I guess, but I think this one could definitely go either way, I think BDS is a very, uh, very competitive team. And they're definitely going to make, both teams are definitely going to make playoffs. So we will see. Anyway, that's going to be it for this week, guys. Um, as I said, don't really want to talk about too much about Giants or G2 until we have more data on them. Because I think it'll be a more interesting, productive conversation at that point. So I'm sure we will 
after next week. Who knows? Maybe Nightmare will be back again if we have a, another amazing cancellation. So maybe even if we, we found don't. out the secret now is that I actually do nothing with my time. I spend 99% of my time on Discord in this room. It's like, <laughs> they know the secret now. Me, me and Rex go away and you just stay on cam. Just, That's you know, it. Wait, yeah. wait they just reconnect the, the call. And, I'm yeah. just there. I'm yeah. always there. There you go. The, the amazing insight on uh, a caster's life. Like all those fucking docs that came back out for like three years straight when it's like the amazing lives of pro players. They're eating crisps in front of their computer. Uh, episode three. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for that. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for those years nice. of amazing, <laughs> glamorous lifestyles that we all got to watch. Where were the private jets? Where were the fucking models at the parties? Who knows? Anyway, uh, thank you guys all for watching, and we will see you next time.